You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. That's super important, by the way. Five-star reviews only, please. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on Patreon at wearelibertarians.com. Listen. Damn it, Jeff. They were... Uh, listen, everybody, I want you to know that Jeff Vibbert is starting on a serious satellite radio show uh, starting on noon on Wednesday. So if you want to call in, say hi to Jeff Vibbert and ruin his show like he ruins mine, please do the Barstool channel. All right. So please subscribe at Patreon. Independent media like this only exists because you give us the resources and the tools. We were talking about a camera issue that we've got. So that's going to be another 35 dollars out of my pocket to replace this piece of equipment uh and the 300 dollars cameras acting up and all that stuff all that adds up so as and all those donations uh, the five dollars a month ten dollars 25 or a hundred dollars a month at patreon.com slash we're libertarians that's how that helps gives us equipment access to sites like the new york times and all of our prep stuff so uh in exchange for supporting our program we give you all kinds of bonus content for free there was an extra 30 minutes of content at the beginning of this podcast that you didn't hear unless you were getting the private RSS feed for Patreon subscribers. There is another show that is two hours long featuring Harry Price on Wednesdays that comes out on Thursday in the private RSS. We give you a ton of bonus content because we thank you so much for being a Patreon subscriber. Now, we, uh, this show is crowdsourced, so you can send us news with the hashtag WALnews or WALpolitics. Or in our Facebook group and Discord channel, we are always taking your questions and comments via email at editor at wearelibertarians.com. Uh, if you've written me, I've just not written you back yet. I've read them, I promise. Please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, authentic, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. And I'm going to warn you right now... This is going to be a little bit more of 
uh, it, it's not going to be an adult-natured show, but we're going to use the president's words, and we're going to talk about the Aziz Ansari. So if you are listening uh, in the car with the kids, then just be advised. Um, we're not we're not going to be like CNN and put this out on uh, push notifications and say the S word, uh, but. We are going to talk about Aziz Ansari, and that's an adult situation. We're going to talk about the immigration s-hole comments. Uh, we're going to talk about schools outlawing best friends. I, for one, wish they'd outlaw Jeff Ebert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to talk a little bit about. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff, the Me Too stuff. But uh, yeah, I uh, yeah, we're going to start with Martin Luther King and uh, and you people. Uh, because now I look at Harry Price. Uh, mm-hmm. Harry, how are you doing today? Going good. How are you? Uh, good. Harry is uh, my co-host here on the Tuesday show. And Harry, did you have a nice Martin Luther King Day? Sure did. Yep. Um, do what I do on every Martin Luther King Day. Uh, I read, you know, speeches, books, educate black youth online. Um. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to like find some young up and coming um, crap poster and decide to uh, just like hammer their world out with like just go like hard in the paint with some hard black facts on them. Now I uh, am now I ask for your permission. May I like Martin Luther King? Let me check your balance on, on the racism insurance. Yeah, yeah, you can. All right, good. Yeah, okay. yeah you can. Outside of the Founding Fathers, I think Martin Luther King's one of the most extraordinary Americans uh, ever to live because – and I think if you go back and listen to the episode that we did about it last year, that was sort of at the conclusion of several months of study on the Civil Rights Movement, mm-hmm. uh, reading the Taylor Branch series, uh, Parting the Waters being the first, and watching the entire PBS series called uh, Eyes on the Prize as well as a few other books – like I, it's a lot of work, <laughs> it's a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but you get such a great inside knowledge of the civil rights movement, and you really see how how there's a pat there is a playbook for libertarians in all of this, mm-hmm. and Martin Luther King was somebody who was an imperfect person who was pushed to the front of a of an imperfect movement mm-hmm. and within a decade was able to use nonviolence to completely change society to the point that the former head of the pre- of the Senate in LBJ who in the Senate was blocking every civil rights legislation was an awful racist yep signed the civil rights bill as president because political will and societal will had shifted so much mm-hmm. in a span of 10 years and uh, it was because he acted nonviolently, and his opposition acted violently. Correct. Yeah. I mean, he was an extraordinary human being in the in the civil rights. I mean, he's one of the heroes. I mean, everybody puts him up as the. And I think he would be. I think he'd be unhappy with an an MLK day. I think he would be unhappy that he was the singular focus of the civil rights movement for so many people. Um, but part of that comes from his assassination because. You know, Ralph Abernathy, people like Rosa Parks, Stokely mm-hmm. Carmichael, uh, who, who's the, the congressman, uh, John Lewis, um, Andrew, Andrew uh, is it Andrew Jones? He went on to be the, the UN, uh, Andrew, uh, gosh, I'm spacing it. Um, 
tall, handsome dude went on to be the head of the oh, NAACP, man. head of the, he was the UN I ambassador. I want to say Johnson. I think you screwed me up. I, I think know. I got it wrong. It, but it's Andrew Young. It was Andrew Young. I was, it's, like, it's like I had it. And you said James. I was like, what? Right. Lots I'm, of lots of great civil rights leaders, even people like Malcolm, Malcolm X to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Martin Luther King, just his his oratory was... Unlike anything that exists on the planet today. Correct, yeah. I mean, you go back and you listen to his speeches. I listened to the mountaintop speech mm-hmm. this morning, mm-hmm. which he was very sick, and he had the flu, and he didn't he didn't go to the church in Memphis uh, that night, and then they said, you got to come down here. It's it's packed to the rafters. People want to see you. So he came down, and he was, he was very prepared with his speeches. And he stood up in one of the rare speeches where he spoke extemporaneously without notes and just crushed it. I mean, if you don't have the hair on the – every hair on your body standing on end by the end of I've seen the mountaintop, mm-hmm. uh, I've been to the mountaintop, you, you're not human. And uh, then he is assassinated the next morning. Correct. Yeah. So – and he just apparently – he collapsed at, at the end of that speech and the, just – it was – it's incredible uh, to to listen to his words. Mm-hmm. So what what's you listen to his speeches every year? Yes, yes, I try to because you know it's one. I uh, it you are correct. Uh, he's a great orator, and this was a simple fact that you will never, especially in this twenty four hour news cycle. I think um, on the Boondocks, like um, uh, James Magruder hit, uh, brought up on this, like it's just you can't be uh, Martin Luther King and speak like that and be on the news anymore. He right. speaks. Like even I, I speak very, very quick, very, very fast, and I, you know, just because that's you know society, that's where I've grown up on. Mm-hmm. It's just what we've done. We've always speak spoken that fast, and someone speaking that slowly <laughs> right. and pronouncing every word <laughs> and trying to get that that cadence in there, that doesn't work for TV and the simple fact. And uh, I think the uh, that's another thing I always like to watch for Martin Luther King Day is the um, Boondocks Martin Luther King episode. When they do the basically the dream, the fiction episode where he didn't die, he went into a coma and came back. Right. You know, and, and he was, you know, he's still around. And just to show you how in a different lens, in a different world, and how different of the way people would act to Martin Luther King. Yeah. And one of the things that I hate about Martin Luther King Day mm-hmm. is all the Republicans that try to make him a Republican. And then all the libertarians and conservatives mm-hmm. that try to make him a communist. Yep. And yep. I, I, you know, the the truth is that yes, he was uh, sympathetic to socialism. His wife was an avowed socialist when they met, mm-hmm. and he writes to her in in his letters, basically saying, "I'm sympathetic, and I understand the problems with capitalism, but I, I I'm not willing to give up on it yet." And towards the end of his life, he did become more anti-capitalism. But I think if you're Martin Luther King and you've spent 15 years in the middle of all these fights between institutional racism in local businesses and local governments, mm-hmm. I think it's a perfectly rational position for Martin Luther King Jr. to have a, a suspicion of free markets because free markets weren't acting rationally to him, so why would he think that capitalism could act rationally? And I think taking those statements... Uh, and again, it doesn't make him right. I just see how he can come to that conclusion based on his experiences. And taking those statements and then applying it to today's politics, when Martin Luther King existed in a time when political parties were totally empty vessels, Republicans, 
uh, were suspicious of civil rights and and weren't really willing to do a lot. And then Democrats, you had JFK Democrats, mm-hmm. and then you had Robert Byrd Democrats. Right. You know, uh, everybody points out, oh, well, uh, Governor Wallace was a Democrat. Yeah, he was, yes, but he was. so was JFK. I mean, you didn't have the kind of homogenization in the political parties then that you do now, and it was just a very different time 50 years ago in every aspect of our politics. Mm-hmm. And to take like Martin Luther King's views on politics in a time that it were vastly different than the Internet age, mm-hmm. you can't say that, oh, well, I think he'd love Donald Trump, or I think he'd hate Donald Trump. I just... Like, I think he'd hate Donald Trump. But I think he'd pray for Donald I Trump. I think he'd pray for Donald Trump. But <laughs> Martin Luther King was extremely careful to never wade into any political discussion that didn't directly affect the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Because his position was always, I don't want to get, I don't want to say something that will turn a potential ally off. And it wasn't until Vietnam, when he spoke out against Vietnam in 1967, that, that what, what he said he wouldn't do. Because if he did it, it, it happened, and mm-hmm. he basically divided his movement. He divided his supporters. He divi- he all his all the suspicious silent majority said, "See, he's a he's a he's a communist." Mm-hmm. And you know he. And that's when the FBI investigations got in really good and, on him. And by by his death, he really was very. Uh, he his power had greatly d- diminished. Which is really odd, which because I don't know why, if his power diminished, the Dulles brothers assassinated him. Uh, which is my view. I think the CIA at the time, the Dulles brothers, are two of the most evil Americans ever to live, mm-hmm. uh, traitorous people. And I think if you do any research into them and the Kennedy assassinations and the Martin Luther King assassination, you see the paranoia within the FBI and the CIA that Martin Luther King was going to foment uh, uh, race riots, which were already mm-hmm. happening in 1968, yep. and that he was going to be a, a bad actor, that he could convince all of Negro America to turn on the United States government, when in reality, if you look at his influence within the black movements of mm-hmm. that time, they had shifted more militant. They were heading towards Black Panthers and Black Power, mm-hmm. and they were moving away from the then. I think at this point Malcolm X was assassinated, but you know they were moving towards the Stokely Carmichael's and away from the Martin Luther Kings. Yeah, he was more of a trying to keep them peaceful, but they were because they were met with such violence around that time. Right, and it was to me it was almost like if it wasn't for his assassination, they probably would have got violent because yeah. he was been talked of like um, like um, all black people trying to concentrate in one area and get there around every chair and police and do everything themselves. Now, even out through all that violence, there's a lot of di- like um, there's a lot of good programs that the Black Panther Party did do and mm-hmm. a lot of different things that it did do. There's like a lot more community aspects that happened through that. I'm sorry to ruin your Black Panther Party. Flush <laughs> <laughs> Forrest Gump a couple months ago. Such a great movie. Uh, this was from the the actual uh, I've been to the mountaintop speech. He said, "When people get caught up with that which is right, and they're willing to sacrifice for it, there is no stopping point short of victory." And I I just said, libertarians, your job is to define that which is right, so that people will sacrifice to win, not what you think is right. There's often a big difference. And what I mean by that statement is that so often we think that the issues that we are interested in or the issues that we know to be the underlying problems 
those are the right issues to fight, but m- people aren't willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. to 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 the ends that it takes to be victorious. I was talking today to somebody. I was talking with a group of libertarians today about uh, education. Well, yes, every libertarian should agree that there shouldn't be public schools, or that there should be uh, there should be public schools, but you should also have the legal right to send your children to other schools, or uh, basically that what we have now, which is a public school monopoly, mm-hmm. is not the right solution. And I think any libertarian would agree with that point. Maybe yes. not all libertarians would agree that there shouldn't be public schools, um, but the, I, I, I don't think there should be. <laughs> but the, well, well the, the idea of having a free education system is a great idea, mm-hmm. and the idea, but more the we hate the way it's funded. And the monopoly aspect. That's, right. you, you hit on the nail on the head. Like, we hate the monopoly aspect on it and the simple fact the way it's funded. If it was funded through charity organizations and there was multiple choices that you could pick them, like a market could decide on the um, mm-hmm. which school survives, which school goes down, you know, that's what we want. You know, that's like, they're like, all oh, these charter schools went down. Yeah, those charter schools suck. Right. You know, there's other charter schools that are thriving. They're doing well. The the force of government has created education educational systems that don't fit the 21st century workforce. Yeah. And so Completely. so these these libertarians were arguing that school choice and vouchers shouldn't exist because libertarians should only advocate for the end of all public schooling. And I said, "All right, let's 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 accept the premise that every libertarian agrees with you." Mm-hmm. Okay, well we've now won three percent of the nation. <laughs> and Good job. Three percent of the voting public, which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. half the nation. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say we we do what we've done for fifty years, which is keep advocating that point of view and keep shrinking that three percent, because the reality is that society at large is not ready to accept a full end to public education. They. And even here in Indiana, it's in the Indiana Constitution. Mm-hmm. Robert Owen and the Owenites, who found a new harmony, socialism, one of the first socialist communist experiments, was here in Indiana, in southern Indiana, with the Owenites. And they put into the Indiana Constitution the public school fund, the common school fund. And so mm-hmm. it is in the Indiana Constitution that we are to have publicly funded schools. And so to roll that back, the PR nightmare the policy nightmare, the messaging nightmare of trying to argue against public schools mm-hmm. as a matter of policy perspective is a tremendous hardship. It's mm-hmm. a tremendous undertaking, and it would require millions of dollars of lobbying efforts and public relations efforts. Mm-hmm. So you you end up getting yourself so far into the weeds that no one will listen to you anymore because you're advocating this crazy idea of ending public schools. And so what I said is let's focus on what we can do now. Let's focus on where the public is at now and start moving them towards liberty and freedom. And Mm -hmm. as they accept our ideas of something like vouchers where money follows the students as opposed to – Every school gets this amount based on enrollment, mm-hmm. which isn't working for us in Indianapolis and Indiana. Let's change it to a voucher system where the money, where people have the money that it costs the state, mm-hmm. and they can then enroll their child in the school that they think fits their child best, yeah. yes. be it private or public. And hopefully, one day homeschool. 
and and homeschooling. Yeah, would, absolutely. Yeah, there's so many single mothers that I think they would probably homeschool their kids if they were like, for each one of these kids, you get eight thousand. Now, granted, like, oh, you're getting free money to the government, but yeah, but it's going to either going to go to these schools or go to a money pit. Right. So, it, you, I'm, th- get, this I'm is, getting probably getting crapped on by every anarchist right. watching right now. So this is the problem that I have with the purely anarchical position is that. We're advocating for things that aren't going to actually happen in reality in our lifetime, and people are tuning us out because we are so far in in down the socialist rabbit hole that people don't even understand the language that we're speaking. Mm-hmm. And when you when you try to argue argue the purest positions, people don't listen to you. Yep. They think you're crazy. Right. They consider you Alex Jones conspiracy theorist by saying, I think your child should be educated in the best way possible, and you should have maximum choice over their education. And so that, that I think, is mm-hmm. what, what King was saying is that take the issues of injustice that are on the ground now and pick up the torch to fight for people who are being trampled on and fight for those people. And in the process of people seeing a reality-based situation that is incorrect, they will start to sacrifice everything they possibly can to give freedom and liberty back to not only that person but themselves. The number one episode that has ever been listened to on We Are Libertarians is episode 91. It is Rachel's story. It is the story of Woody talking about his daughter who was sent to prison for 16 years for selling two Oxycontin pills that her boyfriend was dealing and that he was sick and couldn't make the trade. So she did it, got busted, and ended up getting sentenced to 16 years in prison. Now, Rachel had a rare blood disease that the, uh, the privatized... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I.e. monopoly, not monopolistic company that was doing Medicare for the prison system in Indiana named Corizon, mm-hmm. which thankfully has been kicked out of Indiana. Uh, for situations like this, Rachel wasn't getting the treatment and was basically left to die. She was Her care was so mismanaged that she hemorrhaged to death and Woody lost his daughter. And so for two hours, you get to hear Woody tell his story of injustice. You, you listen to our cost series. Go to the cost, the human toll of public policy. You can find it at We Are Libertarians. You can listen to it in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. And you hear people talk about – there's eight stories in there of people who have had their businesses closed, their lives destroyed, their medication messed with, their daughters killed, their children raped, and the government allowed it. So often the government is the creator of the injustice, Mm -hmm. and the narrative of society today is that government is here to protect us, that government is here to save us. And it's about time that libertarians start standing up and saying, you know why this, per- this happened? You know why this little child was not protected by DCS? Because government doesn't work, DCS doesn't work, and here's the solution to fix it. And we start advocating for 
private solutions that are not monopolies. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in privatization in the way that the government – in the way that Republicans describe privatization because what they're doing is they're handing out major contracts to their donors. Right. And Democrats are handing out major monopolistic contracts to their donors. A company here in Indianapolis has a 50-year lease on the on the uh, Park meters. on the parking meters. Thank you, Harry, uh, because there was a connection there. Mm-hmm. Somebody yes. had the connection. So 50 years. There's a monopolistic contract on our parking meters. Mm-hmm. Why should parking meters exist in the first place? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. violating all these storefront property rights. Right. And so you uh, you we have to start making a better case. And we have to start saying that children are poorly educated, that we're running behind because of these certain conditions and these certain things. And if we do this solution, then people will be more free. Martin Luther King was able to take real instances of injustice in his community and start building coalitions to fix that, in, that, that problem and start to carve out more liberty and freedom. And within a decade, he was able to change society. One man, one group, a person who was an imperfect person. He plagiarized his college stuff. He cheated on his wife. He he did things that weren't holy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there isn't a single person listening today that isn't holy. And the only time that people make an issue of somebody like Martin Luther King's imperfections is when they have a political point to make and they want to diminish the actual good works of what the man did. And so when I see a site like Liberty Hangout posting some bullshit garbage article about how Martin Luther King was a socialist and nobody should listen to him, I'm saying the person that wrote that is lying to you and is manipulating you and is completely incorrect about Martin Luther King Jr. And that outlet should no longer be listened to because their credibility has been absolutely diminished because they're trying to make a point that doesn't make sense, that is completely false and inaccurate, and what is the point of it? Mm-hmm. It's because they're trying to manipulate you to think a certain way so they can gain favor with a certain segment of our population. People like Liberty Hangout or Tommy Lauren want to manipulate you into being part of their tribe. People like uh, the Young Turks want to manipulate you left and get you to think left so they can be part of their tribe. And so they basically are gaslighting you into believing a certain way. And so much of tonight's show is trying to combat, trying to give you a gut check of here's what reality says. So when you see all these things about how Martin Luther King Jr. plagiarized and cheated and was and believed in communistic ideals, maybe some of that was true. But that doesn't diminish the overarching, Mm -hmm. complete picture of his work, which was absolutely libertarian in getting more people freedom, more people liberty, and creating justice where injustice had been before. Is that good? Yeah. Yeah. I always hate it. Like, yeah, because they wait until like Martin Luther King Day to like start posting these manipulative articles for clicks, for money. And, you know, it's it's different if they would have posted it. You don't know, mid December, right? You know, or if they, and if they brought up some new information on it, like we've got this. This is what we just uncovered. Yeah. Okay. But they're not going to do that. But no, no, this is stuff people have been posting on the internet for since the internet on Martin Luther King Day. Ed, you know, trying to be edgy. Yeah. Look what we did. Edgy boy. Yeah. <laughs> As Count Dankula would say, "Ooh, watch out for that box of knives. It's so much edge." <laughs> 
Uh, all right, so on to our next uh, on to our next gut check. Uh, Donald Trump. Too many trailer boards open. How many of us are surprised to hear Donald Trump thinks that Haiti is a shithole? Anybody? Is is this new information about Donald Trump that we must not have known before today? Is this new information about Donald Trump's character that we haven't been wrestling with for two years? Is there anything for us to really be outraged about? Like, a Democratic senator who wants to gain leverage and diminish the president's position leaked a comment that Donald Trump probably said, but we don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. He leaked it for political mm -hmm. gain. Also, it's hilarious that Don that Harry just belched, thought he muted his mic. I thought I did it. No, it didn't work. Ah, it didn't see, I just want my old button back. <laughs> no, because you would push the button and then you wouldn't click it off. So Donald Trump is under attack because, as we as we said last episode, Donald Trump is having uh, his mental fitness questioned. Donald Trump went for a physical. At the Naval Hospital last Friday, mm -hmm. uh, congratulations to Donald Trump. He is physically fit and has also grown one inch in the last five years, according to, <laughs> <laughs> to, according to his driver's license. So his driver's license, uh, it says he's 6'2". So what you're saying, he's falsified his driver's license. Exactly. He said he's 6'2", and then he's 6'3", in the... Uh, 239 pounds of pure muscle and mental acuity. And uh, Donald Trump is in fighting shape, uh, according to the doctor. But I just, Raw Story posted that he had grown an inch in his, in his later age. And I thought that was funny. But whose driver's license is actually correct? Mine says I'm 230 pounds. Yeah, I haven't, uh, yeah, haven't updated mine since I, start, since I stopped fighting. Harry says he's Asian. Which, uh, first off, okay, um, you swore when you saw those two passports, you wouldn't bring those up. Uh-huh. Because I've got one that does say I'm Chinese, and the other one says I'm German. Right. And uh, now, how Don dare you? Donald Trump, when asked about this, said, of course I've grown an inch. I'm huge. <laughs> <laughs> so... Personally, I won't believe he's in physical fits, uh, fitness shape until he takes a bike ride with uh, Dr. Ron Paul in the summer. Yes. Find out who, you know, who, la who lasts the longest... It's going to be Ron Paul. So, so I'm just looking at all this, and I'm going, okay, listen. Is Donald Trump a dangerous person? King George III mad? King George III mad. Is he syphilitic? He's lost his mind. He's, he's a stark raving lunatic. He's schizophrenic. He needs doctors. No, he's not that. Is he well-read? Does he read books? No. Is he an intellectual? Mm -mm. When he is on television trying to look smart, trying to disprove that he isn't everything that Michael Wolff says he is, and he is in front of a bunch of congressmen, and one of them, a Democrat, asks, would you support a DACA clean bill? And he said, absolutely, I'd support that. I'd take a look at that. Mm -hmm. Mr. President, do you have any fucking idea what a clean bill actually means? Because clearly you don't. You don't know that a clean bill means that you'd only vote for DACA and nothing else would be attached to it. You said, I'd support a clean bill. Then a few minutes later, I would, I would have a clean DACA bill, but we'd also have to add the wall into it. Well, that's not a clean bill anymore. So you can't be president of the United States and not know the basics of how government works. Clearly you can. <laughs> but clearly you can. 
So we're we're in but, this situation in this reality. So you're taking him literally, mm-hmm. okay? And you need to take him figuratively, All right? He wants the wall in there, but right. he would support a clean bill, right? But he wants the wall in there, right? Exactly right. <laughs> he would sign it faster if the wall was in there, right? And, and and I just I see and interact with so many people who support Donald Trump, and they would just have so much more credibility if at some point in discuss in discussions with them they would say. Yes, I know he's a buffoon, but overall, he's succeeding in the two mandates that Donald Trump has. A, fulfill the uh, conservative appointments to the Supreme Court, but Gorsuch, done. Mandate filled. Number two, don't be Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Those are the two mandates that Donald Trump had, according yes. to, to uh, Jeffrey Goldberg, mm-hmm. a- a- and and he's exactly right. Like, don't be Hillary Clinton. That's why he brings her up all the time. He's reminding you, I'm better than Hillary Clinton. And as he said, well, uh, Jonah Goldberg, I'm sorry. Jonah Goldberg uh, said... Goldberg's messed up. Jeffrey Goldberg's the editor of The Atlantic. Great podcast, The Atlantic Interview. And that's where uh, I heard Jonah Goldberg say this. His mandate was two things. It was conservative appointments to the Supreme Court. Don't be Hillary Clinton. Well... If your only standard for voting for a candidate is that you think he's one notch above the person who will destroy the country, that's not a great standard for us to have in political candidates. And he's 100% right. But that's where we're at with Donald Trump. Like, I read what happened by Hillary Clinton this weekend. You cannot believe how awful that book is. Okay, it's as bad as you have imagined it is. Uh, I, out of 475 pages... I've screenshotted and posted the photos of the only pages that are worth your time in the We Are Libertarians Facebook group, mm-hmm. and it's like 10. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, in the book, it's funny because she says, um, you know, I carried around binders of people that I thought would be good for the transition, and I had the transition all staffed out, and I knew who I was going to pick. And then like two pages later, she loses the election, and they come and they say, what do you want to say? And she's like, I just didn't have anything to say. Honestly, the idea of losing had never crossed my mind. <laughs> so she had yeah. binders full of women. Um, right. Awesome. You know. Well, um, so I feel bad that you had to read that. Uh, wait, Do listen, you want you want to borrow my uh, Scott Horton Fool's Errand book? I will actually after when you're after you're done with it. Okay. All right. I uh, should be done next week. So yeah. I'll bring it over. It's yeah. It's a great palate cleanser from that. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, the, uh, the Michael Wolf book has been the palate cleanser because it's 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 the Michael Wolf book has turned out to be great. It's turned out to be everything that I thought it would be. It's it's tawdry. It's gossipy. It's great. Uh, and you know, I still think that my my review last episode stands of it. Uh, but it is it is it is worth the read. And and in reality, the more you read on into it, you this is just him like kind of recapping all the news that came out in the New York Times and the Hill and Politico. Over the last year, yeah. I mean, it's it's not as sensational in the in the in the second half, but mm-hmm. it, it is a great read. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Sensational is calling like a country a crap hole, and right, yeah. The, I mean, it's listen. Here's the reality that we're in. Okay, Donald Trump is not an insane person. Okay, but Donald Trump is the way you have to look at Donald Trump is Maggie Haberman so gloriously pointed out. Donald Trump is a person who went up into a treehouse in the sky in 1983 <laughs> and created a world in Trump Tower where he had con- complete control over who he had access to. So he had been hanging out with Roy Cohn, who was the lawyer for uh, 
the, uh, the McCarthy hearings and was this New York mob fixer, and he's hanging out with all these you know mob bosses in the early 80s, and then he ascends his golden staircase into his treehouse in Trump Tower. He rides <laughs> an elevator to and from work, and he builds his own reality, and he surrounds himself with yes-men, and he isn't challenged in any way, shape, or form since 1983. Well, I'm, I was born in 1983, and that was 34 years ago. So here's a man who has built a cocoon around himself and then decided in 2016 to come out of it. And you, you are seeing a man that is like Han Solo stuck in carbonite because he is stuck in 1983, and he is a New Yorker, and he has 1983 thoughts. And what I, what I think is going on with Trump and why he's so offensive to us is that all of society progressed mm-hmm. pretty well. Yeah. But Donald Trump didn't. <laughs> like, Donald Trump just is stuck in 1983. And that's why he reminds you of your uncle. That's why he reminds me of uh, Tad, Western. A lot of good cars came out in 1983, though. A lot of good things came out in 1983. Yeah. Very handsome things. <laughs> but Donald Trump is somebody who has... He, he, do I think Donald Trump is a racist? No. no. Do I think Donald Trump is incredibly insensitive? Absolutely. Do I make insensitive jokes? Harry will attest, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The Omega level wall chat is just <laughs> crazy. Um, I took a photo with my friend Abdul Hakeem Shabazz yesterday. I posted it, and it said, hanging out with my only black friend on Martin Luther King Day. Is that insensitive? Mom, absolutely it my is. My mom left. Yes, but it's a joke. Mm-hmm. I'm being funny, mm-hmm. okay? And the, is, it, is it offensive mm-hmm. to some? Probably. Do I care? No. <laughs> like I just don't because the idea that everybody and everything is racist I'm done with it like if 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 I were a racist I wouldn't treat Harry with such respect I have named Harry deputy leader Dep- yes deputy leader especially when the coup comes what, uh, I'm, that, I'm sorry wait what no coup there's no coup anyways yeah but everything is sexist everything is racist and you have to point that out. Exactly. Because if I if I say you're a racist, mm-hmm. I never have to deal with what you're saying. Right, yeah. yeah. I can completely it is intellectually lazy and mm-hmm. weak. The amount of people who are truly racist in this country. Yeah. And le- how would you define racism, Harry? To me, uh I so that's that's a hard question for me. I Okay, this is going I'm going to derail. I don't want to derail, but here we go. Uh to me I think if the whole world is racist, your brain, human brains are lazy. We make uh, assumptions. Every person on this gigantic rock is racist. Mm. You don't mean to be, but you are. You're also sexist. To surprise, your brain makes assumptions. The moment you see something, you pull up a quick database in your head of, of an assumption, and then you start breaking it down to subcultures of what you've got, and then you start putting in your moral filter. It's what your brain does. Right. Sorry. But to me, a racist person, to me, so like everybody's racist, but to me, to be, to that beyond racist person is more people who act on it and, you know, show out on it. That's to me, that's like, wow, that's super racist. Yeah, their 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 thoughts, their actions, their behaviors, their relationships, these are things that are governed by the ideal that other people 
based on their skin color, based on their biology, are inferior to them. Correct, yeah. That you are inferior that, uh, especially like some of the, like the race realists online, they're some of the worst people. Mm-hmm. They're, they, they, one thing they like to bring out is the- Explain race realist. I don't know what that means. Uh, race realists are people who believe that uh, race is real and that there's massive differences in race. And the more thing they like to say is IQ differences. Mm-hmm. And they like to say that the people who have African descent have smaller brain, uh, have smaller brains, and have a lower IQ. What they do is they basically the the Richard Spencers of the world, who mm-hmm. I do believe is racist, because Richard Spencer takes tangential studies and facts and figures, and then tries to paint a picture of an entire group of people yeah. as inferior because. African-Americans or blacks commit more crimes, so therefore they are more predisposed to criminal behavior. Mm -hmm. Well, that is completely removing the reality of the environment set up by government policy that most blacks in this country are operating within. And if you go back and you look at the racist policies of Richard Nixon and Haldeman and Ehrlichman, who flat out told, I think it was the Rolling Stone in the early 90s, we wanted to end the protests uh, against Richard Nixon so he could get reelected, and so we did two things. We, we couldn't outright criminalize being black, and we couldn't criminalize being Democrats. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, so what did we do? We, we criminalized pot. We started the war on drugs, right. and that destroyed the hippies, and that destroyed the blacks, mm-hmm. and they succeeded. Correct. Those are racist policies mm-hmm. because they're targeting an entire group of people based on political means, based on racial notions, and then 40 years later to look at it and go, huh, blacks just must be dumber. That's why they commit more crimes, because they can't control their urges. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Yeah, can't control their urges. Like, uh, totally disregarding most of the economics of the situation. Or the, but the thing is, like, when you look at their gra- – like, the thing is, what their graphs show or what their – like, they show, they show what they show. Okay, they don't do anything else. You can't re- you can't look at this and make all these assumptions. If that's not how science works, you can't do that. You're jumping. That's ju- that's a gigantic jump to conclusions. Like, ha, this is here, but it's just like, well, the thing is, I, um, I can, I, I don't want to attack your evidence, but you know, I, what's your sample size? Um, what's the test like? Then it's like, well, how does this test change, change over time? And they try to show it, but then the, and then they like when the IQ test is like, well, okay, most of these IQ tests are based off of um, people in the military. Kind of get an IQ test back the actual criminals in the jail cell. I want I want the IQ test of a lot of the kingpin blacks in the prisons. I want their IQ test. Yeah, and because to me they're going to be the high ones. Once we get to Haiti, and, and I, I've had but, listen, I've had conversations with alt right people about Haiti specifically, mm-hmm. and they they just flat out say Haiti is a poor country because it's run by blacks. Right, that's it, a racist notion. Like mm-hmm. yes, it. it it isn't because they're black. It's because the American and the French imperial governments, mainly the French, mainly the French, yeah, crippled them. Which we will we'll explain why Haiti is a shithole in a moment, and mm-hmm. you won't believe it. Actually, you'll believe it. This audience will yeah. believe it. Yeah, it's yeah. This it, is it, Haiti and large parts of Africa. It's because a lot of the, okay. I'm sorry. I'm just, listen, oh, wait, oh, wait, racist up, racist people are fucking stupid people. Okay, talk to a racist. This is why I cannot stand. The destruction of social media by Facebook, by Twitter, by YouTube, and Google. They're destroying social media for leftist tendencies. Mm-hmm. Instead of letting racists on their platform have a, a, a prominent position, every person should 
when they open up their Facebook page or their Twitter, the first thing they should see is a Richard Spencer tweet because they will realize how fucking stupid this person is. Right. He sounds intelligent, he feels intelligent, but he's actually a very dumb person manipulating history, manipulating data mm-hmm. for uh, an opportunistic point to get a bunch of dumb people to follow him mm-hmm. because he wants to be rich mm-hmm. and he wants to make money. Right. And so he he has decided, like David Duke before him, that if I just say things that sound right to these dumb hillbillies, then they will give me money. And guess what they do? Yeah. And oh, yeah. if you actually meet one of the people that support one of these guys – you will not be afraid of racists anymore because you will realize they don't understand history. They don't understand politics. They don't understand human nature. They don't understand anything other than the stupid emotions in their tiny-sized lizard brains. Mm -hmm. They're dumb. Meet a Nazi. You will no longer be afraid of Nazis. Right. Yeah. Uh, When you hear him talk and debate, he debates like a leftist. He tries to... Because he is a leftist, he's a big steaming leftist. Right. He uses he calls himself right just to get into like those right camps to get a- after this. So you, if you came in there as a you know Democrat socialist, you you know most you know people will be more apt to listen to his speech in the South. Will not listen to him because he's more of a left. Right. And even like I said, like even in his like you know, when you listen to his four, that four hour stream he had with on Andy Worski live, you know he talked about his white ethno state and how he wanted to make the that that white ethno state and it basically have um, that uh, tyrannical dictatorial powers on through it and have like classes in it. But he wanted to be on top and he would not want to be a serf on the bottom of it. I'm and going he talked about it. He openly like I do not you know, I will not be a serf in that system. Uh, I tried to watch that mm-hmm. at work yeah. without headphones on, Ooh. and then about an hour in, I was like, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I'm also going to put up on our YouTube channel a second copy of the show, and I'm just going to title it, Richard Spencer is an Idiot, and I want you to go watch the comments. Watch the comments, because these are the people that you're afraid of. These are people who are absolute idiots, mm-hmm. and people who work at these big tech companies are ruining their business and making people who have built their career on social media, people like me, go, mm, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to other channels because you, you've broken your promise to me too many times. You've restricted my speech when my speech is perfectly valid and reasonable to try and silence people who are a small percentage of the population. Mm-hmm. And, and it's ridiculous. And so I don't want to do business with you anymore. Are yep. we going to still continue to post on Facebook? Absolutely. But do I is it the the center of my strategy going forward? Absolutely not. Yep. Like it just it's it's garbage. Yep. Like they they are a garbage platform. They've broken their promise, and we'll talk more about it in the future. But let's let's yeah. get go ahead. And Harry. everything they do, like the whole Facebook platform is broken, anyways. I, I, like, how many of you guys really do get like when you get the Facebook Live notification of the Patriots? How, do you guys actually get these Facebook Live notification that we've gone live? Do you guys get right. that? You know, or is it buried on other crap? Or did Facebook decide not to show it to you? Because you know. we're libertarians, correct? Yeah, you know. right. well, and you know, and even the chat feed's freaking broken. Like it, it's frozen like several different times. I've been trying to read the chat, and I've been closing it down. And listen, you know. go go watch. Uh, listen, Project Veritas has its problems. James O'Keefe has his problems. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a journalist. Selective editing. I think it's selective editing. But I think this Twitter video that he found is worth your views. I will put it in the show notes. Uh, and yeah, it, it's uh, listen. This these social media companies are really screwing up their business. They're they're they deserve to die because if you're going to limit free speech, then you deserve to die. You don't deserve to have my business. Mm-hmm. 
and there are big there are going to be big pockets creating pro freedom platforms coming soon and people like us are going to go to those platforms. Yep. It's the, one of the uh, reasons, um, other than I'm thinking, like, Free Talk Live watches us and wants to mimic us, uh, that they <laughs> went to uh, Twitch is because YouTube shut them down too many times. Right. Yeah. YouTube shut them down. Facebook wouldn't let them show the broadcast. And, you know, but, you know, Twitch, like, we don't care. Give, you know. Listen, I love Free Talk Live. Ian, Ian is one of the few, Ian Freeman of Free Talk Live is one of the few black and yellows that has treated me with respect mm-hmm. and treated me with dignity. Yep. And I think that he has he has done so much to help your libertarians, and you should listen to Free Talk Live. You should support those guys, and uh, he he's a good dude. And I thank him for airing us on on LRN mm-hmm. And I know that we and our audience generally don't get along with anarcho anarcho capitalists or anarchists. Uh, what we affectionately refer to as black and yellows or liberty larpers, mm-hmm. but Ian has always been a stand-up guy to me, and uh, I will always, uh, I won't say always, but I will do my best to always support Ian in return because he's been good to me. Uh, So, uh, what happened? What is the the context of the shithole comment? So, Mm -hmm. the Washington Post put out yesterday evening uh, a a detailed account of what happened. So, uh, this is called Inside the Tense Profane White House Meeting on Immigration by Josh Dawsey, Robert Costa, and Ashley Parker. When President Trump spoke by phone with Dick Durbin, Senator Richard Durbin of Illinois, around 10.15 a.m. last Thursday, he expressed pleasure with Durbin's outline of a bipartisan immigration pact and praised the high-ranking Illinois Democrat, according to White House officials and congressional aides. The president then asked Lindsey Graham, his one-time foe-turned-ally, if he was on board, and Durbin affirmed. Trump invited the lawmakers to visit with him at noon, the people familiar with the call said. So they were meeting after this show immigration uh, event. But when they arrived at the Oval Office, the two senators were surprised to find that Trump was far from ready to finalize the agreement. He was, quote, fired up and surrounded by hardline conservatives such as Senator Tom Cotton, who seemed to be confident that the president was now aligned with them, according to one person with knowledge of the meeting. Now, listen. Dick Durbin is garbage, Senator Lindsey Graham is garbage, Tom Cotton is garbage, and so is Donald Trump. <laughs> okay, so these are garbage people. Uh, and, uh, you know, Lindsey Graham has been called Gramnesty. If immigration is important to you, if you, want, if you agree with Donald Trump on immigration, you're going to agree with Tom Cotton on immigration and not with Lindsey Graham or Dick Durbin. Now... Uh, excuse me. Now, what, what, you were, what you were getting is a confirmation of what Michael Wolff frequently talks about in Fire and Fury. This entire episode validates what this book was talking about. Because in response to the book, Donald Trump holds this 50-minute meeting, which you can go and watch on YouTube. I'll put it in the show notes. This 50-minute meeting with high-ranking Democrats and Republicans from both chambers of Congress. And it is an effort for him to look presidential and stable and a deal maker and in control. And it kind of worked for a day and a half. And so uh, Donald Trump in this meeting continually is flattering people and I'm going to make a deal. I'm going to do what it takes. And he considerably disturbs many conservatives with this meeting because – it was hilarious to go and listen to talk radio at the end of last week as they're all going, 
uh, I don't know. Can we not trust Donald Trump? Mike Cernovich, this is the one thing that will erode his base. Mm-hmm. This is the one thing that will get people to flee. Uh, is Donald Trump going to, like, roll over? I mean, is he going to give them? Let me be clear. Donald Trump wants to win. Donald mm-hmm. Trump has no ideology. And so when the Republicans lose the House and if the Republicans lose the Senate in 2018, everything goes to gridlock. His window of getting anything accomplished, period, mm-hmm. but definitely in this first turn is over. Like right. the, he has just he has the rest of 2018 to get anything done because mm-hmm. once the that chambers flip and I do think they're going to flip because you see a record number of existing members of the p- party in power retiring. And you see a lot of these guys retiring because they're term limited from their chairmanship. I think it's three terms, consecutive terms, as the chairman of a committee. This is These are Republican Party rules. They've, they've set term limits. So if you like a guy like Daryl Issa, mm-hmm. term limits are the reason he's leaving because he's no longer allowed to be that, that chairman. These guys still could remain in the House, mm-hmm. but they, they can't maintain that chairmanship. Right. And so there's – I think it's like 30 at this point of them are retiring. Why? I think they've all seen polling that shows this is going to be a bloodbath and they don't want to go out losing. Yeah. And so they are going to just go out gracefully and let the next idiot lose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in ISIS specifically, he got redistricted and it's a much tougher district and he barely won last time and so he doesn't want to lose. And they don't want to have to defend Donald Trump anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the, the House is going Democrat. Nancy Pelosi... I can't imagine she'll be speaker again because she's she's definitely senile. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, Nancy Pelosi's losing it. And she's losing the center of power in her party. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And Nancy Pelosi is um, going to be her speaker if, if, if they can't come to a new consensus candidate. And so... <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know... I know we all say not that Ron, Paul Ryan's any better, but he is. He's way better than Nancy Pelosi. Like a big government, socialist, I want to invade other countries, everything is racial politics Democrat, doesn't have anything in common with libertarians at all. <laughs> like at least Paul Ryan's tax cuts, we can go, okay, I can get on board with that. Yeah, uh, yeah. the only thing we're on board with, you want to help people, cool. Right. but you know. Yeah, right. Like I just have nothing in common yeah. philosophically with Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. I don't even think she's a good person. So, <laughs> and so, when that happens, Donald Trump is going to, in an effort to get reelected, start to look like a deal maker. So the guy who was a Democrat six months ago is going to start cutting deals. So if you're a Republican, <laughs> you're not really going to like the Donald Trump of his second half of his first term because that dude's just going to sell you up the river if you're a conservative. Like, libertarians, we just don't care. Like, that's the beautiful part about being a libertarian. We're going to get effed no matter what yeah. from the Republicans and the Democrats. And we just go, Haha, I told you so. This is why you should be a libertarian. But he's going to cut deals. And he showed that willingness in this meeting. And he showed in this meeting his complete lack of understanding of the entire process. He showed that he doesn't really have a grasp of the core issue that he ran on, which was immigration. And he's willing to win at the expense of what he was vo- voted in for he you know for all the talk about oh he does this for his base like in that meeting he wasn't sticking up for his base you know uh the head of the freedom caucus basically had to s- stand up and go uh hey um 
you didn't mean that. <laughs> Mark Meadows mm-hmm. was like, no. Was it Mark Meadows or Kevin McCarthy, one of the, the, the House Whip or the Freedom Caucus, went, no, nah, you, don't, you, you, don't, you don't mean clean bill. You mean this is what you mean. And he was like, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's what I meant. Like, so Donald Trump has basically in the last few days since the Michael Wolf book verified the Michael Wolf book by having a meeting, talking over everyone, not listening to anyone, flattering everybody, agreeing with everybody, and then when they don't do what he wants, throwing a tantrum and calling them fake news. And then this, if this is the report is to be believed, and I have no doubt that it's true, yeah. uh, there's nothing here that I, I tend to believe the Washington Post and the New York Times most of the time. Like, about stuff like this. Uh, the New York Times. You can't, you can't believe those guys. Right. Well, here's the thing. There are certain things, like we talked last time about James Risen and mm-hmm. his new book, where the New York Times is in the bag for big government. Yeah. But when it comes to reporting the gossip that people are telling them, they're probably mm. accurate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're because yeah, gossip makes money. Exactly right. They're big government shills, so you mm-hmm. you can't believe them on that. On like the stuff that you get at the Intercept. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to is Donald Trump full of shit, they have the story. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and so, so one of the things Wolf says is that the last person to Donald Trump is the person who Donald Trump agrees with. And so there was a race between Priebus, Bannon, and Kushner to consistently be the last person to talk to Donald Trump or in a meeting at the end of the day. Hmm. because the, Or they would call – he sits in bed and makes phone calls to people and, and self-pities. And so they would start strategically lining up people to call Donald at night and reaffirm their position. Hmm. Okay? So – <laughs> Donald Trump talks to Dick Durbin and says, I'm totally on board. We've got a deal. You're going to give me funding for the wall. Uh, I'm going to give you DACA. Great. Give me, give me, give me. Then he goes in, and Tom Cotton's sitting there with his little snake double fort tongue. And who is. It's a race between Lindsey Graham and Tom Cotton for the worst senator. Uh, race to the bottom. Yeah, like Tom Cotton's pretty pretty close uh like at least lindsey graham's funny <laughs> like sometimes i see lindsey graham and i'm like oh he's a shit poster mm-hmm. uh, i can respect that but so they come in and now he agrees with tom cotton and not dick durbin so he's flip-flopped so dick durbin gets pissed and leaks the shit hole comment so that's that's where we're, we're at in the story trump told the the group he wasn't interested in the terms of the deal anymore um he after, as he shrugged off suggestions from Durbin and others, the president called the nations from Africa, Africa shithole countries, denigrated Haiti, and grew angry. The meeting was short, tense, and often dominated by loud crosstalk and swearing, according to Republicans and Democrats familiar with the meeting. Trump's ping-ponging from deal-making to feuding from elation to fury has come to define the contentious immigration talks between the White House and Congress, perplexing members of both parties as they navigate the president's vulgarities, his combativeness, and is willing to suddenly change his position. All verifying exactly what's in the Fire and Fury book, by the way. The blow-up has derailed these negotiations yet again and increased the possibility of a government shutdown over the fate of hundreds of thousands of young undocumented immigrants known as Dreamers. This account of the events surrounding Thursday's explosive meeting is based on interviews with more than a dozen White House officials, Capitol Hill aides, and lawmakers. 
The fight has left congressional leaders unsure of whether they will eventually come to an agreement. Some remain optimistic that Trump can be walked back to the political center and will cut a deal that expands border security while protecting those under DACA and which Trump has ordered ended. The president is indispensable to getting a deal, Graham said. Time will tell. So Trump basically objected that there wasn't enough money for the wall, and uh, I thought Mexico was paying for it, by the way. Uh, He objected that Democratic proposals adjust the visa lottery and federal policy for immigrants with temporary protected status were going to drive more people from countries he deemed undesirable to the U.S. instead of attracting immigrants from places like Norway and Asia, people familiar with the meeting said. So if Trump were racist, he wouldn't want Asians here, (laughs) right? Like, if Trump had a problem, like... I, I like we'll we'll get to it, but I just wanted to point that out. Uh, attendees who were alarmed by racial undertones of Trump's remarks were further disturbed when the topic of the Congressional Black Caucus came up. At one point, Durbin told the president that members of the caucus would be more likely to agree a deal if certain countries were included in the in the protections. Trump was curt and dismissive, saying he was not making policy immigration policy to cater to the CBC and did not particularly care about that block's demands, according to people briefed on the meeting. You've got to be joking, one advisor said, describing Trump's reaction. Um, John Kelly, the White House chief of staff, was in the room and was largely stone-faced, not giving any visible reaction when Trump said shithole countries or when he said Haitians should not be part of any deal. At one point, Graham told Trump he should use different language to discuss immigration. People briefed on the meeting said. So Dur- so Lindsey Graham said, uh, Mr. President, please stop. Uh, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can't say that on television. Yeah, so he, he basically, uh, Bob Goodlatte from Virginia, told Graham and Durbin that they needed to be more conservative. Durbin was not interested. Graham left, and he told associates that he was disturbed by what he heard in the Oval Office, according to people who spoke with him, and that it was evident the deal's antagonist had gotten to Trump. Graham and Durbin told allies that they were stunned that the other lawmakers were present and that Trump's tone seemed so different than it had been days or even hours before, according to people close to him. Uh, Graham declined to verify that. Uh, there had been hope initially. Trump told lawmakers during a partially partially televised session that he was flexible and he'll sign whatever the congressional people put in front of him. Now, Mr. President, you weren't elected to trust these people. <laughs> you weren't elected to sign whatever these people, who are good people. All of them good. All of them are great people. I know all of them, which is what he said in the meeting. You weren't elected to to sign whatever they put in front of you (laughs) you weren't elected to do whatever tom cotton tells you to do Mm -hmm. you weren't elected to do what lindsey graham said to do so i think there's going to be a real cost to donald trump if he i mean this is embarrassing for him like this is exactly we know who he is and this is exactly who he is but uh this is whoo (laughs) him basically saying and that's what the conservative talk show hosts were all upset about like this guy is going to do whatever they say. He'll sign whatever they want. These are the people that we elected for you to punish. Right, yeah. Not to to deal make with. Yeah, we want you to go after them. Yeah. Uh so basically all of people like Stephen Miller, uh who's his conservative advisor, former roommate with Richard Spencer at Duke as uh we've pointed out on the show in the past, and, and Stephen Miller was the uh worked for for uh, tiny little Jeff Sessions. And Jeff Sessions was an Alabama senator who was very 
anti-immigration, like a closed border guy. And Stephen Miller was very instrumental in all those policies that Jeff Sessions uh, basically preached about. And, you know, the guy knows his stuff, and that's why he's still in the White House. He's still central to the immigration stuff. And he's definitely chirping in Trump's ear about all this. So basically, Stephen Miller finds out that he's cutting a deal with the liberals, and he calls Kevin McCarthy, the House Majority Leader, and he said uh, Senator David Perdue and Tom Cotton were also invited to rush over, so they came over to fix him. (laughs) And Mark, uh, he's been talking to Mark Meadows, head of the Freedom Caucus, a lot. And in the late morning, Durbin and Graham arrived. Kelly, who had already been briefed on the deal, talked to Trump to tell him the proposal would probably not be good for his agenda. Now, Kelly is the former Secretary of Homeland Security, and he is a true believer on the immigration stuff. He believes what Trump and Stephen Miller believe on immigration, and he's the gatekeeper for Trump, and he's basically the one who really pushed Trump to rethink a lot of this, according to this article. And uh, after the Thursday meeting, Trump began telling allies the proposal was a terrible deal for me, according to a friend he spoke with. And it wasn't a serious proposal. It's not viewed as a serious proposal because it did so little to address immigration issues that the president has been vocal about, Meadows said. If it was, if I had to put it in a 1 to 10 range, with 10 being the most conservative and 1 being the most liberal, I would give it a 2.5. So he wasn't particularly upset about the coverage of the meeting and his vulgarity after it was reported by the Post, calling friends and asking how they expected it to play, and everyone was saying it would help with his base which I said too, and I agree with. I think it's part of the disconnect. It's You have the people like Dan mm-hmm. Rather and these liberal media members shocked and horrified that Donald Trump would think Haiti is a shithole. Have you ever met a person that watches Duck Dynasty yeah. or watches NASCAR or Left DC that, that has to take a shower after work and not before? Mm-hmm. Because those are the people who agree, like, yeah, Haiti's a shithole. Right. <laughs> I know. I mean, it is kind of a shithole country, and we'll explain why. But 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 also in the same thing. Yeah. But to someone like me, New York City is pretty kind of a shithole. Honestly, you know, New Jersey, the entire state of New Jersey. Hanging out with Nancy Pelosi is a shithole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Gary. Okay. All right. Uh, Parts so, of Plainfield. Now, in this in the Fire and Fury book, Kushner and Ivanka Trump are 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 liberal republicans like jared kushner was a a democrat until this and jared kushner's role is really to like wrangle all the billionaires from new york city and uh he's a very liberal person and so he's really pushing trump to be liked by people like lindsey graham and uh dick durbin and then there's the tom cottons and the and the john kelly's the world who are saying no keep your keep your focus on what you actually ran on so i think this is a really um I think there's a battle for the soul of the White House. I think now that Bannon and Priebus are gone, you've got um you've got Kushner really pushing a lot more of the what Alex Jones would call the globalist agenda, what Hannity would call the leftist agenda. Uh if you if you're a, a conservative, you are anti Jared Kushner. He's not on your tribe. And uh, you are pro Tom Cotton. If you're if you're more of a liberal person, then you are rooting for Dick Durbin and Lindsey Graham. And like I think, 
the the way it comes down for me in terms of the immigration stuff, like I think it's absolutely crazy that there would ever be a question that we were. Why would we want the DACA? Kid, why would we want these people to go back? Correct. Like yes. I saw, I saw a guy who was from Mexico. He's thirty nine. He's been here for thirty years, mm-hmm. but he was too old. He didn't make the DACA cutoff. He got shipped back to Mexico. His wife and three kids are still here. They're teenagers, mm-hmm. you know. And so now he's back in Mexico in a in a place where he has. He has no connection to that land, right. and he's a he's a rational actor with no criminal record who is producing value to our economy. Like, mm-hmm. why would we not want that person to stay here indefinitely? Exactly. Yeah. You know, the DACA kids, the so-called 800,000 DACA kids, produce billions of dollars of revenue mm-hmm. in taxes and doing work, jobs. And, doing, and workforce revenue. Yep. And there are, and a lot of them are college-educated. They're, they're, these aren't like... A lot of more college tomato picking Mexicans yeah. like these DACA kids are kids who are they're Ivy League educated mm-hmm. and you know it, because that was part of the program you right. had to go to college right and so you have very like the two hundred thousand uh, El Salvadorans I think mm-hmm. it is the Haitians like isn't some of them also also serving too or some of like, mm-hmm. some of them are serving in the mili- active military right yeah now. so I. I just don't see why we would want to ship back people who have great economic value. I get why you want to send back the MS-13. Yeah, why you want? Why you like? Here's the thing about MS-13 in El Salvador: it is absolutely on fire. Guatemala is on fire, and it's because you you had these people who came here illegally. And they were arrested on minor drug charges, sent to prison. They weren't sent back to their countries. Mm-hmm. during the Clinton administration, and they get thrown into the gang culture of the L.A. prisons, and so they have to form gangs to protect themselves. Thus, MS-13 was created. They get out of prison. They get shipped back to their countries. The The gangs basically ch- take over the countries. These formerly fairly peaceful agrarian societies now are turned into narco states, mm-hmm. and they have become a thorn in the United States' side. And it's all because of the American drug war on drugs. Right. And so it's it's just it's like do when are we going to get it? <laughs> like when are we going to look at our own policy and go, hmm, we should start doing some things differently around here. Like we just don't. And, and, and the Republicans are so short sighted. The, the the well, we got to send all them back. It's like Jeff Sessions. Mm-hmm. You you push for the 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 change in Alabama to get rid of labor that was illegally mm-hmm. the undocumented workers essentially. Yep. And your entire economy collapsed mm-hmm. in 2010, I believe it was. Yep. Because no one was picking tomatoes. Yep. They had to go and get parolees and have them like, hey, you got to pick these vegetables or you're going back to jail. They spent. What it was like? I think it was like half a day out there. That I was like, I'll take jail. They, they I'd literally go yeah. to jail. Yeah, and Vice did a great piece on it. And uh, they, you look it up. Uh, I forget what the title was, but Vice did a piece on it back in 2010. And they were like, we we have we have no one to work the fields, and mm-hmm. white people are too lazy because they just get welfare. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. And you have the photos of like the fruit, just and not fruit, but like you have the vegetables just just dying, rotting, just dying, rotting, rotting, yep. rotting there in the field because you can't pick them. Can't right. get them. You can't get them, and it's sad. And it was, it was also like neat around. Also around that time, it was the flood of the in other states of people like, you know, when you started meeting all these like you know, uh, quote unquote people, you know, illegals, whatever, whatever. They're just humans. 
right. uh, from Alabama. I've started meeting all these people from Alabama, and I was like, "Where are you guys all coming? Why are you guys all coming from Alabama?" And I was like, "Oh, it's this." And I was like, "What?" crazy and but they were some of the hardest workers especially when we put them in the warehouse and like let me get this straight i can work you know because it was like i was working in like electronic recycling and had them do all this work it's like you're telling me i get to work inside of a building that has right. a fan <laughs> yeah and not the alabama heat in right yeah August. i get I, I get a fan what do i have to do well you just gotta tear down you know we only need this amount of computer. some of the white people are doing and next thing i know <laughs> done. Just, done 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 <laughs> give me some next ones it's like what the what are they doing just, just blowing blowing through it goes like oh because oh wow they don't want to go back to their shithole countries right and listen, if you defend your country and say it's not a shithole, can we stop sending you government aid? The other thing is, like, um, if your country is large enough, you're going to have a shithole. Because right. there's just like I think the only place that doesn't have have one is Connecticut and Rhode Island because it's so small. The entire state of Massachusetts is um, is a shithole. They actually have a hole. It's called the Big Dig. Okay, they have a little literal hole, literally a hole in it. Um, uh, Bittner went there to try to plug it up. He was going to try his best, but. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, as we said on previous episodes, you want this cheap labor coming in and working and then paying taxes. Mm -hmm. And that's why there needs to be a systematic set of visas for people coming in here to work. We don't want them to pay taxes. We No one wants to pay taxes. I mean, if I have to pay taxes, they should They take taxes. You don't pay taxes. They take taxes. Right. They take that. Listen, if I got to pay it, they got to pay it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Oh, so you're like, if we all get robbed from, we all get robbed from? Yeah. Yeah, because maybe I'll get robbed a little less. I remember that next time someone asked for your wallet, like get his wallet too, but dude, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I like honestly. So, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I feel you. On it that. it and, doesn't mean that we have to give them voting rights. It doesn't mean that we have to give immigrants the ability to vote in our not? system. Why not? Because it is. Why should we? Why shouldn't we? Do you want like? Here is the thing about the. Norwegians that Donald Trump once added to our roles. Yeah. These are people who love socialism. Yeah. I don't want them very, having that's a very scary thought. I don't want them having voting rights. Man. I only want libertarians having voting rights, damn it. <laughs> okay. Like Or you want you want to go how about we roll it back to maximum freedom land of seventeen seventy six and only white landowners <laughs> can vote. How about that? I, I believe that I'm I'm not and I'm not fully open borders, but I think closed borders is idiotic. It's bad economics. People go where freedom is, mm-hmm. and you don't want to limit migration for economic opportunities. And if people spend a certain period of time and contribute to the society, then yes, they should be allowed to have voting rights. But coming here and getting voting rights within a year and then going on welfare, I'm not for that. Like I, I don't believe in in, in paying for more people who don't work <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah I, I, yeah and i get that and the other thing is i also uh, but i also see the need to be like well if you're here you're paying into the system then you should my- all you should you should also i think if you're here inside the quote-unquote border of the united states every right if it uh afforded to anyone inside you know these rights of the constitution you should be able to you should have every right as such uh, you have the right to freedom of speech arm yourself you know all those you get all these here you go i listen i have and it's a, not that the government's give it to you it's just more of the government recognizes you have this as a human being sure i uh 
I'm fairly, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, I generally think that you have to write the full name of the person that you should vote for, that you want to vote for, and if you misspell, your vote doesn't count. Um, like, I'm for that, and the <laughs> and you have to put the party, you not the party, but the, the, the office that they're running for. Right. Uh, like, I, I don't believe in make, I don't believe in pure democracy. I believe in representative government. I, I believe that as many people should have the right to vote as possible, but you have to be a good citizen to vote. You know, like I, I think <laughs> there are a lot of really shitty citizens who go and vote on all sides, mm-hmm. including in the libertarian movement, and who don't know who they're voting for. We've all cast that ballot for that judge that we didn't know, and we don't take voting seriously. So adding to the voting rolls of people who don't understand our values as Americans fully, then I don't believe that they should have the right to vote in full citizenship. Okay. Now, after a period of time, and they have shown the ability to understand what American exceptionalism is, mm-hmm. then, yes, join the club. Let's table that conversation next next election. It'd be a great thing to talk on election night. Yeah. This so, would be awesome. I'll table that. So, this is awesome. So let's go to the show. But, let's, but, but the other thing I was want to say is the uh, I also think the need for – many people to come into the United States because that's the only thing that will sure up the Ponzi scheme of Social Security is more people. Sure. It's a Ponzi scheme. Awesome. We need more people. That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, work visas for these people who want to come here and want to work and mm-hmm. want to raise their family? Yeah. Good. Why are we sending this guy from Mexico who's 39 and has spent his entire adult life giving to our society? Like, that's a man that deserves to be here. I wonder if you could, like... Uh, like loan out your citizenship so like an American could sit on the beach and do nothing but sponsor someone to come over here. They pay for everything for him, and you just like no, no, you work for me. You know that's basically what happened in Haiti, which we'll get to here in a moment. Uh, so let's let's finish up with the the shithole comment. And here's what you have to understand about uh, Donald Trump. I mentioned American exceptionalism because I am an American exceptionalist. I believe that the values of America make us exceptional as a nation. Those values are individualism, individual rights, limited government, free markets and capitalism, the value on the virtue of production, the I value peace. These are, these are libertarian values represented in our founding that, are, that made America exceptional because mm-hmm. it made us a, a, a pro-liberty, pro-free market, pro-peace nation. And it was the first time where there was an erase, uh, an erasure of the class system. You didn't have people lording over others, except for that whole slavery thing. But <laughs> you know, it took it took until Martin Luther King for people to have like in 1960 there were six. Is it six million blacks in the South? It was around there, yeah. And it wasn't until 1964 that. You had 2 million registered in 1964, and 800,000 had been registered in 1963. Mm-hmm. There were entire counties, entire states in the South where no black voted. Yeah, That's not freedom. That's 50 years ago. Because it was dangerous. Because it was deadly. Mm-hmm. It was as deadly as drinking Flint water. Yeah, yeah, you could get, you know, you could die. So all these people who say, oh, well, we are so, we've just... There's, we are losing our freedoms left and right. Dude, you've never had more freedom in the history of the world than you do right now. Mm-hmm. This podcast is devoted to picking on the leaders of this country, and nobody says boo. In fact, government leaders want to, government officials want to come on this network. Yeah. You know, Mike Pence's brother may be on Boss Hog of Liberty. Nice. Like, that's, 
freedom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they want to participate in the discussion. Mm-hmm. So black people can vote. Harry is allowed to speak his voice without walking out of this door and having a mob of white people kill him. Or just having a white wife. And you an have inter- a white wife. White wife and an interracial child. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you you really have you've achieved Martin's dream. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if I was back in 1960, I'd sh- up a tree. Yeah. Up a tree, yeah. up a tree. Up a tree. Uh, so we have we are losing economic freedom because of things like inflation and the Federal Reserve stealing our money and increased taxation. But we have the chance to actually change that stuff because we can write laws and change it. Mm hmm. It's it's like the, one of the people who were talking about that school system uh, argument earlier. They said, "Well, that's not true about school choice because X, Y, and Z doesn't happen in the bills that have been written." And I said, "So write the bill that you like, and right. then go rally people around it. And politicians only act on their incentives to get reelected and maintain power. Mm-hmm. Grow a cause and a movement large enough to intimidate those people into doing what you want, and you'll get more freedom by rolling back." old laws or introducing new systems Mm -hmm. of government that's what we as americans have the ability to do you you look at elizabeth warren there is somebody who was sitting in a room thought up of a new bureau for the government got to know her congressman Mm -hmm. and then next thing you know she's senator and talking running for president and this isn't like within a span of 15 years Mm -hmm. you can do that listener yep you have the ability to do that that's what makes America exceptional. You don't have to have the right amount of money. You don't have to have the right pedigree. You don't have to have X, Y, and Z. You, if you work hard enough, can achieve these certain things. We still have that in this country. And that's one of the things that makes us exceptional, and those are the things that we have to protect. The faux intellectuals in this country want you to have that pedigree, that dynasty. Right. They want that. That's the what they want. People spin myths to gaslight you and demotivate you from thinking that you have the ability to do any of this right yeah that's why they like the clintons that's why they want want chelsea and uh, sasha to run They're like oh this would be great we could sasha and melina plenty of black and, and yellows who it's are like yeah yeah so yeah donald trump's view of american exceptionalism is that america is great because it has the most bombs it has the most money and it has white culture and those of us who don't believe in that version of, of baby boomer Republican ex- American exceptionalism mm-hmm. don't see that it, 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 it's it's just that fundamental break that we have with him. Libertarians break with those Republicans, especially baby boomer conservatives, who have that view of American exceptionalism because their view of what makes America great does not match our view. Same with Democrats. You know, Nancy Pelosi sees America as a great country because she can appoint I don't I don't even know. I don't think I don't I just don't think a lot of Democrats think America is great or exceptional. Like I don't think Barack Obama believed that America was a great country. I think that, you know, he I don't know what he believed. I don't want to talk about him. I'm tired of, of He's him. gone. Yeah. <laughs> He's gone. So, it's okay. So anyways, so when Donald Trump calls these countries a shithole, that's what that's where it's coming from, that we are superior to them because we have more bombs, more money and white culture. And that's why it is inherently a racial statement. Uh and that is that is a racist temperament. That doesn't mean that the man is an outright racist. Doesn't make him David Duke. There's 50 shades of gray to everything. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Uh, it's just like Martin Luther King. Was he a uh, was he a perfect human? No. Excuse me. I've got I've had like a sinus thing going on and uh, a cold, mm-hmm. and I didn't take my uh, nose candy, my nope. Sudafed before. Yeah, your uh, your the white powder stuff is on your mirror in your bedroom. <laughs> the stuff that you got in there. Uh, no, that's just uh, for my humidifier. Oh, all so the impurities from the water because you don't use distilled. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it, and it's from all that discussion, and you can. I, I get that, you know, like, and it's a lot of people will say that, you know, they, they get offended because they like, well, the comment is also about some of the people that are there and stuff like that. And we'll get into the discussion on why that's there. Right. But a lot of things, like when I was trying to talk to people about like, um, the one thing about about was like, okay, so the, the comment about shithole people, like shithole countries uh, uh, matter to you, but you know, President Obama bombed a hospital mm-hmm. that, you know, meh. Meh, I'm go to work. Right, I go to work. Don't even care. No hashtag needed. Right, you know. But the thing is, the other thing is like, Africa is so large. It by default, going to have at what one percent shithole. Right. Let's say every continent has one percent of a shithole. Of course, I think Antarctica, one hundred percent shithole. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. But you know, there's so many deserts. So many like you can't live here. There's no life here. That place to me is a shithole. Like the the, pre- the the president's saying it. First off, we don't know that he said it because it was right. a leaked comment mm-hmm. by Dick Durbin, who wanted to weaken the president's position and outgame the senators that he was competing against for the president's attention. And it really just sounded like an offhand like comment, like, "Well, I don't need, you know, why are we letting these shithole countries come here?" Yeah, like it it. And then he goes on and rails against the president's use of the term chain migration, mm-hmm. which is the term for it. Yeah. Watch the Democrats start hammering this. So chain migration is essentially, let's say Harry and I are brothers, mm-hmm. and Harry moves to, you know, I, we're we're from England, and Harry moves to America. Mm-hmm. Well, I have the ability to migrate with my family, mm-hmm. my cousin, to move. So it's a chain of families, Correct. right? Yeah. It's a chain you start bringing of family people members. Over. Dick, you- Dick Durbin says it's inherently racist for the president to call it chain migration which policy people have been calling it for years, forever, mm-hmm. inherently racist because his constituents might get confused and think that Donald Trump is saying some people migrated here in chains. This is a senator. This is a man who is supposed to be intelligent. It's current year. Take anything. We'll take any smack. They're so because they're tired of the winning, so they just got to take any swing. They're just taking swings. Like this election season is going to get it's going to get crazy. The uh, attacks are going to get crazy. It's 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 going to be one hell of a year. It's going to be one hell of a year. I I am anticipating it. It should be. I I want it to. I know the Democrats are going to try to bring their A game, but I. I'm doubtful. Yeah. And I know the the Republicans they they usually bring their A game on the um uh on these like off presidential election years. What is what is they called? I can't remember the name of it. But midterms. Midterms, but uh but I don't even think they're bringing their A. I think they're like, now nah, we're gonna sit at home for this yeah. one. We're gonna sit this one off. So this one you know, this is this year's go these two years is go- it's a waste of money. So as I've said, I work in major media. I work for a major radio show that is across the nation. And a show that's a comedy show that was greatly affected by Janet Jackson. And uh, a lot of their bits were canceled out because of Janet Jackson. And then 
Imagine my surprise when every media outlet on the planet starts pinging me with a notification that says shithole, shithole, shithole. Well, what about the, like, 10-year-old kid who has CNN on his iPad because he's a little nerd like me and is just seeing shithole pop up? Like, it undermines every parent that tells their kid, don't say shit. Right. You know, because, well, Jim Acosta says it. Why can't I? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> like, it, it just it blows my mind the depths to which the media will sink to try and undermine Donald Trump. They They will, you know, President Obama called uh, in an interview during his presidency, uh, he called Benjamin Netanyahu chicken shit. Directly relatable to what Donald Trump did. And that was on the record in an interview. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a secondhand comment. And everybody was just outraged at Donald Trump, but nobody said anything about Barack Obama. Like, I, I mean... It's different. It, it, it's different. It's different. It, it's different. It, it really isn't. <laughs> no, yeah, it's not. Yeah, none of it's not. And, uh, you know, and it's... No, go ahead. Re- bring it up today. I'm just waiting for us to get into the, like, the why Haiti is the way it is. Because it's very... In- it is... Haiti is a great story, especially with Black History Month coming up. Yeah. Well, we will. Let me let me play this because I just find the outrage over Donald Trump, his comments, mm-hmm. confusing because we know this is Donald Trump. We know who he is, and it doesn't give you license to just say shit. All the, like CNN was worse than twenty sixteen. We are libertarians. <laughs> like it was. It was. It was uh, dank, fam. This is Cory Booker. This is a male senator uh, yelling at the uh, Homeland Security Secretary, uh, Kirsten Nielsen. This is a male senator, a male senator, a Democrat, berating a female. Listen to the outrage, the passion in Cory Booker's voice. Don't language festers. When ignorance and bigotry is allied with power, it is a dangerous force in our country. Your silence and your amnesia is complicity. Right now in our nation, we have a problem. I don't know if 73% of your time is spent on white supremacist hate groups. I don't know if 73% of your time is spent concerned about the people in fear in communities in this country. Sikh Americans, Muslim Americans, black Americans. The fact pattern is clear of the threats in this country. I hurt. When Dick Durbin called me, I had tears of rage when I heard about this experience in that meeting. And for you not to feel that hurt and that pain and to dismiss some of the questions of my colleagues, saying I've already answered that line of questions when tens of millions of Americans are hurting right now because of what they're worried about what happened in the White House. We believe for a second that Cory Booker had tears of rage, Harry. Tears, tears of rage. I, I, I can believe that. Yeah, Th- that grown ass man was crying that the president called Haiti a shithole. Or do you think that, like any rational grown up, he went, "Oh God, whatever," and then went on about his life? Yep. The tears that he were crying of, of joy, so that he had the ability to go out and grandstand and berate a woman. Harry, he mm-hmm. berated that woman. I can't wait to turn on Slate and Salon tomorrow and see all the think pieces about male senators demeaning female nominees. 
and and using and using their power to mansplain this woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I doubt that. I don't think that's going to happen because she's a Republican and he's a Democrat and he's brown and he's brown and she's white. Right. Yep. Okay, so I, I just I think the reaction to all this has been so overblown. Like, roll your eyes with me. We know the extent of it. So. We know who Donald Trump is. So why is shitty? Why is Haiti a shithole? Uh, Africa, a lot of this applies to, but Haiti is a shithole. Haiti mm-hmm. is a poor country. Mm-hmm. Haiti is uh, constantly being. Uh, it, there was a, a UN shooting because they're trying to keep the peace mm-hmm. in in Haiti right now. Mm-hmm. Haiti's not recovered from the 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 uh, whatever. And and make no mistake, like Donald Trump's saying that why do we want these people from shithole countries? The people who are saying, oh, he said it about the countries, not the people. Give me a fucking break. Like, you don't believe that. You aren't that stupid. You aren't that... You aren't that logically unable to see that Donald Trump is saying people from Haiti are inferior. Yeah. Like, is it because they're black? I'm not going to put that thought in his head, but he clearly is saying these people are inferior. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, why is their country inferior? So this comes from Ohio State University, osu.ed, edu. I will put this in the show notes. And it is called A Pact with the Devil, the United States and the Fate of Modern Haiti. Now, uh, Haiti Haiti and uh, the Dominican Republic share an island. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was an early important place for France. At first it wasn't, but then it was. It, it was. it was the Spanish discovered it and, and colonized it. And then the pirates kind of took, took it over. over. Sold their own, sold the beef back to, back right. to, back to England. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then the French came and took it over mm-hmm. and took over the island. And the French, you know, the Louisiana Purchase, mm-hmm. was a direct result of some of the slave trade in Haiti. So... So we pick it up in 1826, and uh, we're going to post a great video by John Green. And Mark, there's a lot of stuff that was going on in that time, too. Yeah, and there's a great video. We're not going to cover it here, but the the Haitian Revolution was the direct result of us getting the Louisiana Purchase. And Haiti was the first first nation in this hemisphere to declare slavery legal, uh, the first black-led nation here in this hemisphere. I mean, it, it, the Haitian Revolution was really important to America's future. Uh, we just don't have time to cover it, so that we're going to put that great YouTube video up at WAL Politics and then also in the show notes. Uh, so check that out. Really, really good. Um, but we pick it up in 1826. Uh, Southern antagonism towards Haiti erupted on the floors of Congress when John Quincy Adams proposed that we should participate in a conference of independent American nations at which Haiti might also be represented. In response, Southern congressional leaders unleashed their fury in a tirade against the Haitian Republic, spewing racist propaganda and insisting that Haitian independence must never be recognized. Um, Frederick Douglass, in 1893, aptly described the U.S. government's response to the Haitian Revolution as a demonstration of Americans' discomfort with black freedom and self-determination. Haiti is black, and we have not yet forgiven Haiti for being black. After Haiti had shaken off fetters of bondage, and long after her freedom and independence had been recognized by all other civilized nations, 
we continued to refuse to acknowledge the fact and treated her as outside the sisterhood of nations. Now, here's the main reason that Haiti is currently a shithole. It's the French debt. Now, until 1825, the U.S. government could easily justify their non-recognition policy on the grounds that its ally, the French government, was unwilling to recognize the independence of its former colony, Haiti. And from a purely democratic diplomatic standpoint, it would have been a poor strategic decision for the U.S. to acknowledge Haiti if the French refused to do so. That changed in 1825. Now, obviously, in the early 1800s, the War of 1810, Mm -hmm. we were still susceptible to the British taking us over or picking off some of our colonies. So the French were an important ally of ours. So we didn't recognize them for, for those reasons. So... That changed in 1825. In order to gain diplomatic recognition and to gain entrance into the global trade arena, the Haitian government entered into a very costly agreement with France. France agreed to recognize Haiti as a sovereign nation, but demanded that Haiti pay compensation and reparations in exchange. The Haitians, with their diplomatic and economic backs against the wall, agreed to pay the French. The French government sent a term of a, a team of accountants into Haiti, in order to place value in all lands and physical assets, including the 500,000 citizens, placed a value on the citizens mm-hmm. who were formerly enslaved and declared the value at 150 million gold francs, which is today around 20 billion. <laughs> in the entire, it was only worth 20 billion. Okay. Payments began immediately. And although Haiti was finally able to officially buy its economic freedom and diplomatic recognition, the debt of 150 million francs was a massive burden from which the Haitians have never recovered. Although the official debt was later reduced, France forced Haiti to pay an annual fee for its national sovereignty for nearly 100 years. From 1825 to 1922, for almost a century, they paid the penury. And that by 1915, Haiti still owned France 121 million francs, and much of their resources went to paying off its debt. For instance, 51% of Haiti's revenues from coffee went to service the debt. 47 went to pay internal debts associated with building the nation's infrastructure, and only 2% of its national income was able to pay for the rest. The reality of suffocating debt... Uh, then, by more than any other factor, explains why Haiti will eventually become known as the poorest country. And paying the French did not always help diplomatically uh, either. The U.S., for example, continued its policy of non-acceptance of the fledgling republic. Due in part to its diplomatic isolation, debt, and economic struggles, Haiti entered into a troublesome era. Beginning in 1843, there was a series of military coups. And that continued on. Uh, the shift from president to emperor was not only a change in its name, blah, blah, blah. Um, let's see. Finally, um, the Civil War broke out. Abraham Lincoln enacted the law recognizing Haiti and appointed the first commissioner. Uh, but still, Haiti was not recognized and respected by the United States. While the first hundred years or so of Haitian history was marred by political isolation and economic embargoes that devastated the nation, uh, it, the, in many respects, the next hundred years would be the exact opposite. Rather than being ignored and excluded, Haiti became the subject of conquest, occupation, and control by Western nations, particularly the U.S. Haiti's political victory in 1862 proved to be hollow at best. Uh, we, 
the exposed it exposed Haiti to the possibility of foreign intervention and eventually resulted in occupation. Between 1862 and 1950, Haiti experienced tremendous internal turmoil. Dozens of military coups and horrific violence and political instability kept going on. Uh, in many ways, it's not it's it's the story of all countries, right? So, essentially, Germany goes moves into France, and the the, it, the class system in in Haiti was essentially you had the French elites, mm-hmm. and then you had the offspring of the Haitians and the French elites, the people of color mm-hmm. class. Then you had white settlers and merchants, mm-hmm. and then you had slaves. Yep. And then that class system kind of endured. And eventually Germans move in in the late 1800s, and they represent a very small but very economically power uh, at the center of the nation of Haiti. Well, as you know, in, in World War One, we opposed the Germans. Right. And Germany in the empire started to use... Haiti as a base if they needed to attack the United States. And so Woodrow Wilson and Americans became exceedingly paranoid about the Germans in Haiti. Um, And so as a result, in 1914, following more political conflict among Haitian leadership, the U.S. President Wilson sent American troops to invade Haiti and commence what became a devastating and brutal military occupation. The U.S. occupied and ruled Haiti by force from 1915 to 1934, often using violence to suppress Haitians. In one skirmish alone, the U.S. military killed over 200,000 Haitian protesters. For 19 years, the U.S. controlled customs in Haiti, collected taxes, and ran many governmental institutions. We consolidated the debt with France. We paid it off, mm-hmm. but they, in ex- they basically exchanged one creditor for another, uh, and we officially withdrew in 34. But we had fiscal control over the country till 47, and then they paid off their debt to us. Uh, but to do so, to gain their independence from us in the 40s, they had to drain their gold reserves, leading them, leaving them completely bereft of all of their resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was, it was 1940? 1947. 19, what was going on in 1947 in the United States at that yeah, time? right. The war. <laughs> so, as often happens in the wake of an occupation, mm-hmm. a dictatorial regime grows up, uh, pops up, and that's where you get Papa Doc Duvalier. And uh, the most devastating impact of interference, our interference there, was the ongoing support of the Duvalier regime, which ruled Haiti from 57 to 86. De- Papa Doc died, and then Baby Doc took over. Fearful that uh, Haiti would fall to communism, we continued to prop up the Duvalier government. During that 30-year period, Haitians were forced to live under the dictators Papa and Baby Doc. Some members of the Haitian leadership have since claimed that the Duvaliers stole close to $1 billion, and even so, both Duvaliers enjoyed the backing of the U.S. because of their staunch, staunch anti-communism. Um, he, uh, Duvalier, in 1956, declared him president for life after a dictatorship uh, after a coup, so um, as you as you see, basically in all of these examples of of a dictatorship, Haiti's economy suffered immeasurably from this plan. Agriculture production dropped, and they were forced into a dependent and vulnerable economic position in the global market. People starved to death. They had to take on debt by uh, leveraging their economic resources, which means 
things like the World Bank and the IMF get to take over, and they basically become a a uh, a satellite state of the United States in perpetuity because we and our national corporate interests get their global uh, their global resources. They get, we get all their resources. This continues today. So uh, this is the history of Haiti. <laughs> This is the history of Africa. This is the history of South America. Mm-hmm. This is the history of the Middle East. This yep. is the history of several Asian countries. Mm-hmm. The West. Uh, certain Eastern, uh, what is it, the Russian state blocs, uh, the Ukraine, yeah. the you know, and, and Poland. People wondering right. why, why is Poland the way they are? Because you know they didn't get as screwed as everyone else. They just kind of watched everyone else. It's like, yep. you know what? We got our country back. F everyone else but Poland. Right. So you have a country... That basically through the 17 and 1800s was a colonial interest. Mm -hmm. There's a revolution. We continue to destabilize Mm -hmm. until the current day and prop up dictators who rob the country blind. Yep. And we continue to transfer. We give them aid. And you know what aid is when, as Harry Brown once said, uh, government aid to these poor countries is when you rob the middle class of a rich country to give to the rich class of a poor country. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, giving, that's the other problem is like giving aid to a country like that, you can really screw up the economics of the whole entire country. Just giving out money, giving out, um, you know, devices. It might seem like a good idea, but you know, like I said, you just screwed over that guy who, you know, makes brooms, digs wells, you know, now no one's going to pay him for it. You may go like, well, they need clean drinking water. Yeah. And economics will pay for it. You know, that's the other thing. It's like when it's what happens in those countries. But um, with uh, the other thing that both happens in Haiti is uh, uh, since we're only about, what is it, a couple of years removed from all the Clinton cash crap, you also have to think back like from the um, the hurricane that happened out there in Haiti and then all this money getting fed into the Clinton Foundation and all that getting screwed up and the different other countries that are go over there to different things. The other thing is like the uh, importing. Uh, then there's some importing of bad ideas into the Haitian culture and also into Africa that also turns them into crapples. The that idea, the infectious idea of socialism and communism, get, you know, worms their way into these dictatorial dictators or these people. And they get sold on these ideas without having to understand the economics behind any of that. So it's also a poor education. So it doesn't matter. Um, so like, that's what also I guess with um, also get an argument with race realist is that the simple fact that they like to say Africa and Haiti are crap holes because of race and totally ignore the economics of it. If you look at a country like China going uh, after um, the uh, after Mao and all that they were starving they were basically they were basically a third world co- communist country you know up until they started to get with the times and get to better different um uh, economics of the whole situation and they got, and they built themselves up out of it it was that's just oh thank you thank you it's 55 i think it says 55 in here 65. it's 55 in here okay this is 55 degrees in here. Your feet are cold? Yeah, my feet are cold. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm so- Did you know I'm cold? Uh, yeah, but basically you have gloves and three coats on. Yeah. Cold. It's 55 degrees in this in here. Go turn it up to 67. 
Can't even move. Can't even move. You're the biggest baby I've ever met. Not a baby. Cold. The other thing, I'm going off tangent on this one. The other thing is, um, uh, Gunther and Lacey, they're, they they don't understand. It was like 65 in like in the house. Gunther's birding, you know, hot, right. you know. She 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 thinks it's funny when I touch her with my cold hands. I'm over here like in a heating blanket, going like, it's so cold. Why is it 65 yeah. in this house? All right, I'll turn it up. Keep talking. Cool, awesome. Thank you, guy. I I want to thank Christy for having the heat. Um, I'm guessing Christy probably texted um Chris to turn the heat up. No, thank you, Christy. Oh, okay. So actually, your feet are cold. Anyway, so yeah, uh, so yeah, so those infectious ideas was also like in gone into Hades. Like when people go out there. But the one thing that um you also understand is there's some places in Africa that is actually very nice. Um, like there's some places in South Africa, some of the like these massive electronics in there. There's some um the there's a lot of places dotted around in Africa. One, it's so freaking large that is you know. You you couldn't tell it apart from, you know, like certain, you know, uh, cities here in the United States, other than there's majority of black people around that they have, uh, you know, just like um, a lot of people like have never really looked at anything. But if you look at the um, when it's H&M protest uh-huh. and it was like people getting upset about that and rightly so. But then you get to see the protest videos and tearing up this gorgeous, beautiful South African mall. This mall is beautiful. Yeah. Wants them to tear it up and go and like, and it just helps people to dismiss the idea of what they think of what, what Africa is. Um, I have no plans currently to go to Africa um, because I don't, you know, if I leave this country to go on vacation, Africa is just, just not where I want to go. I, I, I like driving. If I'm going to drive, if I'm going to leave somewhere, I'm gonna, I want to go on a driving trip and they don't have the roads that I want to drive on in africa anyways but that's the point but you know if you really if you are really hurt about these countries uh once you go there and spend money there <laughs> right not, not, not go out there and um you know bring things and buy things for them uh, go there and actually spur on economic growth so go on vacation go go there go on vacation you will be shocked how much how far your money goes partying in south africa your biggest expense will be getting there but once you get there you will feel like a movie star. I've had a friend, I can't say his name, uh, but I've been trying to get him on to talk about a South African trip or just going to Africa, period, that he said he felt like a movie star there because his American dollars went so far there. Huh. That he was there, he said he went to uh, a nightclub and he just got himself bottle service the entire time. Nice. He just, he just went ahead and go, he's just like, I could, he's like, I skipped the line, I went for bottle service, I got a VIP table. I was like, I didn't know anyone from Adam, but I met people because it was like, man, screw this. You yeah. know, I'm not sitting in this line. And then it was like, when I found out, like, VIPs, there was like $20. <laughs> I popped bottles. like, I was popping bottles for $30. Look at this bottle. Look, 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 look what I got. <laughs> Hilarious. You know, but just because of the exchange rate. But, like, this stuff like that. Okay, back to that. But that, but you bringing your dollars there and spending there and just learning about, you know, like, going there and learning about a different uh, country, you know, it's a lot more, you know, if you're really upset about it, Go there, spend your dollars there, help people out there, spend your money there. You know, that's one thing you can do to help it. Just the same way as the, you know, if you really care or you want to fix some of the crap holes here in Indiana, you know, why do you think, you know, uh, Chris keeps going to Plainfield? That's a crap hole. You know, got to keep going there, keep spending money there, and hopefully it won't be a crap hole all the time. It's getting beautiful now. You know, that's all thanks to Chris. Come to Southport. It's beautiful here. 
It used to be a crap bowl. All right. And uh, Beach Grove Beach Grove used to be a crap bowl. The people are still here, and they're crappy. You can probably see that Beach Grove Walmart video. But uh. <laughs> All right. We got to move on to Me Too. And I want to start with uh, these amazing comments by Condoleezza Rice. Oh, and this is beautiful. My her, mom loved this one. Yeah, her her prescient comments. This is Condoleezza Rice. David Axelrod has a podcast. Uh, I forget what the podcast name is, but it's got David Axelrod. And he was the, the, the guy who ran the Obama campaign. He was the chief strategist. And his podcast is actually really good. And uh, I recommend it. I think you would enjoy it. And I think that you would find um, a lot of it thought thoughtful and stimulating and it's not liberal i mean it's status propaganda but you'd like it and so he he has taken his podcast to cnn to the uh tv and he's interviewing condoleezza rice so that is who is speaking now i gotta say this for you to play real quick real quick uh logan just uh, in the chat just said i got a boat ride at sunset dinner and drinks for twenty dollars in the dominican republic nice Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he also got diarrhea with that deal. I, I, I doubt that, but like that Logan guy, so that, you know, that, so that's probably like that guy's like top tier thing. So he's helping out the, you know, the economics of the situation. Like, well, just vacation. Yeah, but that guy, you know, you build up this guy and he's going to go like, he's got to go like get his boat fixed, get other things fixed. He's got to buy supplies. Things got to get supplied there. And, you know, All that's right. what happens. So here we go. This is Condoleezza Rice talking to David Axelrod. You have worked in the most uh, exclusive male corridors of power almost your entire uh, adult life. I mean, for, for crying out loud, you were the first woman admitted to Augusta, right. uh, the most exalted male uh, preserve. Have you been exposed to uh, harassment over the years? Oh, I've certainly had people say inappropriate things. I've certainly had people suggest that maybe we should just go out and, you know, and and in situations in which it was somebody more senior than I. Um, And I've never faced a quid pro quo, an explicit quid pro quo. Um, I've never had anyone do anything that I would consider assault. Uh, But I don't know a woman alive who hasn't had somebody say or do something that was uh, inappropriate at best and aggressive at worst. I think that the movement to expose these, uh, these circumstances is a good thing. Uh, let's clear the air about it. I do think we have to be a little bit careful. Let's not turn women into um, snowflakes. Let's not infantilize women. And what I really don't want to happen is I don't want it to get to a place that uh, men start to think, well, maybe it's just better not to have women around. I've heard a little bit of that, and it it worries me. Uh, Did you see Oprah's speech? At- All right. Uh, and I, I, f- I think that, uh, honestly, there's some truth to that, because mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I, I know you're, you're not around the office, but privately, I think there are a lot of conversations going on, a lot of, a lot of offices going, do we want female interns? Do we want more female employees? Do we? How do we behave around our female coworkers? And we we because we are more paranoid. And we've talked about that on the show. Yeah, there's some female bl- uh, bloggers that have talked about it that uh, that they're like she's like uh, she's talking about she was the o- she's the only female IT tech like in her um, you know in her department right 
and they were sending t- people off the conferences, right? They were sending two guys, two guys, two guys. And when it came for like her t- kind of like time to go and then around this area, before they would send her with another guy, but this time they went and got a female from like uh, the sales department to send her with. Hmm. I was like, but this is a tech conference. You, you, you're going to right. send you with the sales lady. <laughs> be, be, I'm guessing most of the guys are like, who's going with me? Her, no. No, I can't yeah. make it. I can't make it. I'm not doing it. Just and they probably don't think they're probably good group to guys, but the simple fact that uh, with the story which you're going to go after is, dude, that's some scary crap. You just can't, you know. It's like, wow, man, it's these MGTOW guys, but they got something going on here. Maybe maybe they're correct, you know. MGTOW is uh, men going their own way. That is the pendulum swing of the massive feminist movement that has like the third wave. They have crept up. The uh, okay. idea of men going their own way that they're basically getting away from you know don't dating women don't have sex with them don't have any personal don't have female friends don't try to don't try to interact with them and i was like wow that's it's like yeah but when you look at all the stuff that's going on it's like man if you would have did that you, you're, you're fine <laughs> well i personally am a member of uh no ma'am no, no, uh, national <laughs> organization of men against amazonian masterhood uh <laughs> <laughs> which uh oh god married with children was so wrong and so prescient in so many ways uh so the me too movement claimed another quote-unquote victim uh, in aziz anzari and mm. uh <clears throat> let me just say um i work in comedy uh, and I, I've not met Aziz, but he's been where I work and everybody says he was super nice. And, uh, you know, there's no rumors according to several people I talked to that he's a dick. I know Owen Benjamin, uh, was on Stephen Molyneux and said that, oh, he's an asshole. Okay. I could see that. Like the, the rep on Aziz is that rep is a basic white bitch comedian. And, and by that, I mean like in the canon of white girl TV shows, mm-hmm. of basic white girl TV shows, there's like Gilmore Girls number one, mm-hmm. and number two is Parks and Rec, and number three is The Office, like, and number four is Sex and the City. Like, they've all seen, like, do you watch Parks and Rec? It's like my favorite show. I love, oh, treat yourself. <laughs> like, that is, that is basic white girl Bible stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Aziz Ansari caters to that. Mm-hmm. He's very smart. He's like, all right, listen, I've got an in with a certain group of people who will buy my material, mm-hmm. so I'll craft stuff to them. Right, yeah, just like Owen Benjamin does that stuff, too. Right, Owen Benjamin's now catering to the alt-right crowd. No, he does not cater to the alt-right. Okay, what would you? What, how would you categorize it? I'd say, to me, like, I've listened to some of his stuff to me, just sound like he just tries to turn, he, he, he tries to... Let's say new right. I'm not even gonna say that. I'm just saying just people on the right, just people on right. the right. It's more right, but he's been hanging. He hangs out in like um, the upper part of New York. I don't want to okay, dox him now. Uh, Listen, he hangs out in the mid, in the basically out in the woods. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, he. Uh, so he he's out there out in BFE. So like he hangs out with the like working people. So his most of his comedy is going to be most to to lot most of the time people who are on the right political ideology. Yeah. Adding these new crappy adjectives to it like I'm alt like no 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 no. See to me because alt right is so lefty. That's lefty. Edgy right. I'll say edgy right. 
I listen. Right. Owen Benjamin's right. a great dude. I yeah. met I met yeah, him a couple times. Six foot seven. He's, he's huge. huge. Yeah. He's so tall. And uh, I met him a couple times at work. He's a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Love him. Yeah. Uh, but like uh, even like with Doug Stanhope, Doug, I yeah. know, uh, he doesn't like he doesn't really pander to libertarians. He's just out he there. He is libertarian. He's it. Yeah. yeah, he is. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't pander to us. Uh, that's a good point. But so uh, you know, I just I get I I hate when there's this thing that they go listen. Uh, Aziz Ansari, hate the guy, hate him, not a fan, not funny, but this thing here, like, I, I don't know why commentators, especially, like, conservative-leaning or libertarian-leaning, listen, the guy's an asshole, hate the guy, not a fan, but gotta defend him. Like, there's that... <laughs> like, Just to show you, like, well, it's yeah, that virtual signal of, like, look who I'm, look who right, I'm defending. Listen, not, not a fan, not a good, not a good guy, you know, like... Okay, we get it. You don't have to, like, and I even found myself, like, listen, don't agree with what he did here, but got to say, <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't have to say anything. Like, you don't have, like, if you, you I, I, I'm not a fan of his comedy. I don't think he's funny. I don't think Parks and Rec is funny. I never have. Uh, love The Office. Just felt like Parks and Rec was a miss overall. Thing, same with 30 Rock. Uh, friends hated it. Basically, I have nothing to talk about. You have, You don't like Friends? Don't. Not at all. You don't like. What about Gilmore Girls? Like Gilmore Girls. Yeah, that's a good show. Yeah, it's a good show. That's a good show. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I don't hate Aziz Ansari. I just don't find him funny, and I don't get his shtick. And like when I think he wears a, a Times Up thing on his lapel, mm-hmm. like I think he probably believes that. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't believe everybody's so quick to just go. Tah. He's just uh, wearing that to do this and do this thing to be dishonest and blah. I just think we we are just so quick in this society for whatever reason just to see everybody as an opportunist. Well, uh, so you would think that, but then there you've got like this backlog of other crap, like a lot of uh, like um, there's. I I don't want to not listen. No, it's no, an, no, I don't want to throw. No, keep going. Yeah, uh, let's not get too derailed. But I'm just saying, to. like everybody is just so quick. It, it, maybe some people actually believe stuff. Like maybe Aziz Ansari actually believes in the Me Too stuff. Actually believes Time's Up. Supports is a male feminist. Well, according to this article, it sounds like he is. That whole Exa- encounter sounds right. like it. And maybe he just has no game, and maybe he just doesn't always. He doesn't have enough empathy. I will say, and I'll, I'll say this. I'll preface this. Okay, guys who are super successful, and I've worked with a ton of them. And who are famous, they just don't they don't view relationships with women like I do. Like I have to sell dick, okay? Mm. Like I have to actually like convince a woman to look at it, let alone touch it. So like I have to be very good at convincing women to sleep with me. Hmm. All right. So guys like Aziz Ansari don't, and so they get real lazy. So when you don't have to work those muscles. Of of it, and it's just fish in a barrel. Mm-hmm. You have no game, and Aziz Ansari has no game, and he is. And I'll tell you where he went wrong. And so we're going to title this segment "A Man's Guide to Having Sex with Women for Women" in, in the Me Too era. Because, like, I asked a lot of female friends about the Me Too stuff and mm-hmm. about this account encounter, and so many women said what Aziz Ansari did. And I'm sorry, I don't know how to say your name, is what most men do. And so I think we just need to kind of like 
I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the birds and the bees, Harry. <laughs> I'm gonna break down the birds and the bees and explain to you how to have game. I don't I don't think I need to teach you, but I don't have. Uh, but the thing is, I don't have any game. Right. I never had to have it. Right. Black. I get it. Yeah. You no. Know, you know, black guy date white chicks. I don't really have to have game. <laughs> you know? You know? I'm just I just I got want- I got with Lacey when I was like. 18, right. um, just got done wrestling, you know, so I'm at 7% body fat, you know. <laughs> you want to see my abs? Sure. Yeah, I had like <laughs> massive six pack abs and, you know, I was getting an MMA, so I was training, eating good, you know, you know, and I've been with her ever since. All right. I so- never had to develop any game. So, like, this whole encounter, like, yeah, that sounds, yeah, that sounds part of the course. That's what you do, right? Now, many people call me dear leader, and that makes me very wise. I am the leader of, of this land, and uh, I am very successful in all fronts of life, as I have told you many times. And so we're going, to, we're going to go through this. And I think men need a lesson on how to talk to ladies. And I know there are, there are many virgins in this audience who don't know how to have sex with a woman. They've never seen a boob. Uh, they've seen boobs online, but... Not in real life. And there are many men who are probably making the same mistakes as these are, which are grotesque. He didn't act like a man in this situation, in my, in my opinion. And I also don't feel that uh, this girl, her pseudonym here is Grace, uh, acted like uh, she, was a, she was a coward. Mm-hmm. So, and we'll, so let's dive into it, and then I'll give you some of the feminist reaction to this. Which was scathing. <laughs> so, uh, so again, this is pretty graphic stuff, and I'm just gonna—I'm not gonna read it all out. I'm just gonna give you the the highlights here because you probably have read it. Uh, but if you haven't, I want to make sure that we set it up in case you don't know what's going on. So, uh, essentially, and and to be clear, um, not good journalism at all, which I'll point out at various points why. This is written by uh, a white girl. Um, her name is... Clearly. Uh, clearly. No, her name's not Clearly. Her name is Katie Way. White girl name. Uh, this is was published in Babe.com, and Babe is a feminist website. Um, Katie has written such great articles for Babe. Uh, God sobriety Mario Kart, just a list of the things we printed pretended to like to impress a crush am i high as shit or do these celebrities low-key look alike sorry but kendall jenner can't model for shit (laughs) um she writes uh she's written the it girl is dead now because we're all the it girl uh put your fucking phone away your photo op activism is bad for the movement um but you look white what passing privilege means and why it matters. What life in prison is actually like, according to a girl who grew up inside one. Uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, we know which celeb couples will break up in 2018. We mm. tell you. What your go-to selfie pose tells us about you. So clearly, Katie, hard-hitting journalist mm-hmm. over at babe.net. How or, dare you shame her for her hard-hitting journalism? Well, like I've said before, there are a lot of uh, pretend wannabe writers of both uh, genders, or all the genders, who go who grew up watching Carrie Bradshaw or read All the President's Men, and they go to, or they read Hunter S. Thompson, and they go to, wa- they go to New York City, and they want to become writers, and uh, then they end up working for Babe.net, talking about which celebrities are going to break up. 
mm-hmm. and then they're friends with a girl who accidentally fucked Aziz Ansari, and then they get their big break. Uh, and then they never get out. Uh, so many of these sites write like teenage girl journals mm-hmm. with that awful sarcasm. And Katie is no different than any of them. This is the one that she is. Uh, yeah, don't go to babe.com. Sorry about that. It's a totally different site than babe.net. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Rick. Hope that doesn't get you in trouble with your wife. Uh, oh, man. So Katie's big break before this was, sorry, white people, but trying too hard not to be racist is low-key kind of racist. Gotta see what that is now. Uh, now, that is a horrible title, and this is poor writing. Whoa. Katie, by the way, is also white. Don't get me wrong. It's great that white people care about racism now. That's nice for them. And it's totally sick to hear white guys tell me that they're into brown girls, too, when they try to get into my pants. And even though ending racism can seem like an impossible dream in a world where Nazis are a thing again, and everyone except me to care about anything related to Bella Thorne, at least diversity is a stated goal now. Progress! I don't know who Bella Thorne is. Who's that? I have no idea who Bella Thorne is. Trying to do research on babe.com. Okay, all right. The hard-hitting journalism of wearelibertarians.com. But sometimes when white guys try to be allies, the pendulum swings back into the wrong direction, and shit gets straight-up offensive. The reductress headline, I don't see color, says the white guy who exclusively dates Asian women, is a textbook example of this phenomenon. This is another one. Do you see anything wrong with this picture or this video? Adopting black slang while when trying to appeal to a black audience is, unfortunately, kind of racist and defi- definitely appropriative. And even if you're doing it because you think it's cool or even, yikes, trying to make someone else feel more comfortable. So, the, the, like horrific writing Mm -hmm. this reads like her journal when she was a sarcastic 13 year old sounds like it yeah uh bella thor born in october 8th 1997 so that's probably why is an american actress singer and she played ruthie spivy in the television series my own worst i don't care i don't care she's on the fourth season big love uh, disney's channel shake it up uh babe.net started in may 2016 (laughs) as an experiment by a group of editors in our early 20s so a lot of life experience in these girls. Uh, we now reach more than 3 million readers a month. And what am I doing wrong? And a million girls follow us on Facebook. Because uh, they go after the uh, teenage money who don't know any better right. and they try to be edgy. It's the same reason why the Pauls have so much freaking money on YouTube. Right. We can um, do the same thing. Babe is into good news reporting, trash trends, personal stories, industry-leading analysis of fuckboys, and the pettiest celebrity drama... And we're cool with admitting that we are full of contradictions because all girls are. Oh, shit. This sounds like the feminist version of us. We care, <laughs> we care about the safe sex and access to birth control, but sometimes you just need to pop some plan B. Find us in the gap Whoa. between our image of ourselves and how we actually behave. Hang with us here or read our top stories where, where we tell us where we fucked up. So just some, listen, some girls out there trying to make it in the world. I get it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm down with it. Uh, Get wicked. So, uh, but that doesn't make them journalists, necessarily. Uh, And this girl just basically, this reads like a journal. Journalism is not journal writing. Uh, And their sourcing is basically uh, that her friends said this happened. (laughs) (laughs) And they didn't even wait for his his response. But they add at the end, uh, and then we'll read a statement at the end. So, yep. Make sure you get that NDA signed before going out on a date. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's an app. Can you look in the Trello what the name of the app is or it's in the in the Discord? 
chat. Um, what in the as e card? It's like legal hookup or something. All right, let's for that. <laughs> it's in the Omega Discord chat. Uh, okay, so this girl, Grace, is she sees at a party Aziz Ansari taking pictures after in 2017 at the Emmy After Awards party with a, a film camera. And as you know, as a 22 year old girl, she was into uh, film as well. And so uh, they flirted a little. He took two pictures of her and. Uh, then they would kind of like flirt with each other, talk to each other. And she was there with another guy. And, uh, but at the end of the night at Ansari's suggestion, she put her number in his phone. So when she landed back in New York the next day, she already had a message from him and they, they kept texting before he asked her to go out on a date. Date didn't go as planned. The night would end with Grace in an Uber home in tears, messaging her friends about how he behaved. Um, so they start flirting, and uh, she basically spoke up because he wore a Time's Up pin on the red carpet, and she decided to go public with her story because she felt that he was being hypocritical. Nothing pisses off people more than than, than when you they feel you've scorned them and they see you as a hypocrite. Uh, so she talked about the date wore a cocktail chic dress uh the photo of the two of them she looks she's a beautiful woman it looks like they covered her face but uh everything else looked beautiful uh they exchanged small talk drank wine they went out on a on a dress uh she wore an appropriate dress cocktail chic um she settled on a tank she settled on a tank top dress and jeans uh after arriving at his apartment basically the implication there is she didn't dress like she wanted it is what they're kind of saying there. Uh, after arriving at his apartment in Manhattan, they exchanged small talk and drank wine. It was white. I didn't even get to choose. I prefer red, but it was white wine. And Ansari walked over walked over to Grand Banks, an oyster bar uh, on the Hudson. So, what were they eating? Oysters. And she wanted red wine. Well, he they went to. She met him at his apartment, and he had some white wine out. But she wanted red wine. And so she's upset that, like... How old is she? 12? She's 22 oh, at this point, And he's 34, 35. He's, our, he's my age. And so, like, it's just sort of a weird thing to bitch that, like, I prefer red wine, but he gave me white at his apartment where he was... Clearly, he likes white. Right. <laughs> Let me Uber over some red wine, honey. So, uh, okay. So... They discussed NYU comedy, a new secret project he was working, but she did most of the talking. Uh, She says she sensed he was eager to leave. When the waiter came, he quickly asked for the check, said, let's get out of here. Let's get off this boat. The abruptness surprised her. She didn't even, she still had wine in her and more left in the bottle after he ordered. Rick points out what she prefers is free wine. Uh, (laughs) Who doesn't? Who doesn't in their early twenties? I'm not. Listen, I'm not against this girl. I feel she feels like this was a traumatic thing. So I I, I think I'm coming across like I'm making fun of her, and I don't. I don't mean. I don't intend for that to be the situation because clearly it's it's a brave thing that she's doing by speaking out against this, and I feel bad that like she's kind of being excoriated. But uh, we'll, we'll discuss it after we kind of break it all down. So, um. Like, he got the check and then was bada-boom, bada-bing, we're out of here. Uh, Then he walked two blocks back to the apartment building to an exclusive address where Taylor Swift has a place. And 
when they <laughs> when they walked back in, she complimented his marble countertops. According to Grace, Ansari turned the compliment into an invitation. He said something along the lines of, how about you hop up and take a seat? Within moments, he was kissing her. In a second, his hand was on my breast. Then he was undressing her and undressed himself, and she remembers feeling uncomfortable at how quickly things escalated. Now, yeah. Yeah. Dude. Okay. This is the first date ever? First, they've met each other. They've spent an hour together. I'm talking about her first date, like, ever. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm... Are you saying this is standard operating procedure? (laughs) Listen, you listen. You need... I need to teach you the birds and the bees, too. Guys, you've known the woman an hour? Like, first of all, let me clarify. Like, I don't think that sex outside of a relationship is even good. All right? I think it's a waste of time. Like, if if you are worried that you are a virgin and you're listening to us and you're out there in the middle of nowhere... And you're like 20, and you're like, I got to get rid of this virginity. Like, just wait. <laughs> it's not <laughs> worth it. Okay, it, it, it's like this entire encounter is why. If you if you like get to know somebody, and treat sex like the serious situation that it is, because it is a chemical bonding of two people, and you should have trust with the person that you're having sex with. If you wouldn't want the woman to be the mother of your child, you shouldn't have sex with her. And how can you know that this woman would be a good mother if you've only spent 35 minutes with her at this point? Because there's serious consequences to sex, and neither of these two people, especially him, by pushing the envelope, has has a respect for the actual cost of what sex is. So it it's... Uh, it, 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 like, our, I think our society is just so... Like, we, we've we moved from sex is something you have in marriage to sex is something that you have in a committed relationship to now sex is should be had at any time, and that is the ultimate goal. And, and that has and, – and men especially, like, the implication is that men are, are just – all they want is sex. That's the ultimate goal. And I think he, he really betrays that, like – his whole intention, like, oh, I'll take her to dinner and then I'll just take her back to my place and we'll hook up. He's been trained that way because that's what happens to him all the time. I, I don't know him specifically, but I can tell you based on the pattern of the famous successful men that I have seen that are in his age bracket, that's how they behave. If it's easy for them to have sex every night, they will for the most part. So it's it's not surprising that he's aggressive and just doesn't, think about it he's like well uh, she's she's talking to me and going out with me she wants to fuck you know because that's what he's used to Mm -hmm. and uh is that right i mean it's his choice it's what he's comfortable with it's what works for him and it's up to the woman to say no i'm not comfortable with this and i don't feel that she did that throughout this and you'll kind of see this next but uh if you're going to try and uh if you're not worth 18 million dollars and you're not on hit tv shows and extremely famous this is not the right way to make love to a woman right harry yeah (laughs) for you for for you you (laughs) okay all right yeah yeah that makes sense but but to me to me that just like that does kind of sound like yeah it sounds like a wednesday night (laughs) right for him i'm saying like no i'm talking about for me i'm like aziz dude take her Get her another glass of red wine. No, watch, he, watch some TV for a half an hour. 
treat her like a person. Take her to Burger King. Okay. Okay. Let her let her get let her king size it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Treat her special. Mm-hmm. Let her mm-hmm. have it her way. Right. So you can have it your way. Is exactly. What you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then you bring her home. You know. You open the door for her. You know. Because she's got to go over, open your side of the car because you, your door's broken. Oh, I'm sorry. I was talking with people like me. <laughs> <laughs> talking about your uncle. Yeah. But no, yeah, yeah. No, like treat her like a person. Like have a conversation with her. Like make her feel comfortable in your home in a strange well, environment. But that's, well, that's the thing is like she's like, according to this thing, they're like time traveling very, very quickly. I call BS on that. Okay. Because right. it sounds like. They were there. It sounded like they had dinner for like, what, 10, 15 minutes? Come on. Then they go back to his place. Come he on. puts her on the marble counter. Come on. Really? That's like, a, that was like, actually, like, they time traveled? And who, who has who has that kind of conversation? That's beautiful. That's two people not making a connection with each other. Like, oh, that's a, a nice marble countertop. Yeah, you want to sit on it? <laughs> yeah, hop up on it. <laughs> okay. Hop, hey, I've been up there I with, wanna... with with like some chicks and guys like like this car. I got some good suspension in it. Was, you know, we need to bounce. Check I... check the suspension of this car. I'm like, I am I am uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just feel like what the way that Anzari is portrayed here is that someone who is not empathetic in any way and mm-hmm. doesn't really treat her. As uh, I, I don't think you treated her special. I don't think if if this is the actual. It, 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 chain of events, then I don't feel that he treated her like uh, I, I, he treated her like a person, but he just wasn't. He just he wasn't very like welcoming or generous I, or thorough. Yeah, yeah, he you know definitely I mean? did like, not do the dear leader treatment. Right, but I can really see that he kind of just see like the thing is you're trying to say like he went through the paces, but to me, you know, I think she was. You know, also okay, going like she wasn't picking up either on his cues or she also wasn't really listening to him. Sure. And he was picking up on something else because, he, you know, she probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he probably was having a conversation with, but she was probably too, too busy being starstruck and not paying attention to what was going Could on. Could be, but something just feels off about this story. Uh, so yeah, to me it almost says like um, that one of those, like, I'll take $500, uh, I'll take $500 for things that did not happen, Alex. See, I don't know. I mean, uh, you, you can't – a lot of this is just – you could be right. Uh, so anyways, when Ansari told her he was going to grab a condom within minutes of their first kiss, Grace voiced her hesitation explicitly. I said something like, whoa, let's relax for a second. Let's chill. She says she then resumed – he then resumed kissing her, briefly performed oral sex on her, and asked her to do the same thing to him – she did, but not for long. It was really quick. Everything was pretty much touched and done with 10 minutes of hooking up, except for actual sex. Okay, so here's where I've got to be on, uh, f- like, here's where her signals are mixed. Mm-hmm. Grace voiced her hesitation. Whoa, let's relax for a sec. Let's chill. If she said that, I would say, okay, like, I'm I'm being too aggressive. Mm-hmm. That's how I would pick it up. Like I, so I'm, I'm something's off in my particular game. Uh, I wouldn't then just like go right back into it. That's why I think he messes up. But if she's feeling uncomfortable, her lack of emotional courage or ability to express how she is feeling to someone is not his problem. Right. It is not the responsibility of other people to read your mind. Mm-hmm. It is the responsibility of you to say i do or don't want to do this 
mm-hmm. in any situation, work, in relationships, in sexual relationships, in anything. Like, it is not other people's, like, if you're passively, aggressively, like, dropping hints, you're, you're the wrong one. Mm-hmm. You're, you're incorrect. You need to have some courage and say what you think. Right, because this is your body. You should be the most passionate, the most, you know, fervent with these things. Right. The other thing is, like, uh, when she says chill, come on, we live in the uh, culture of Netflix and chill. Right. What do you mean when you say chill? And so for uh, and, and the, the fact which so she just let him put his you know like head the, down there. The and, ultimate green light was when she went down on him. Right. Like that. That is like go time. Right. Well, the, uh, you know, nothing's really go time. You still have to have like consent through the whole thing. But the thing changes like that. Like if you didn't want to. Dude, like his head, you know, his head was between your legs. You could have just walked off, or he had that, you know, tons of things just to walk off on. But right. it's, yeah, that's why, like, you know, it sounds like completely mixed signals, or it didn't go the way that, or he's probably just very, also very bad at oral, you know, or, or, or there's just like there, like n- there's no chemistry. But it's, it's, if you have had multiple sexual partners or even like sex with the same person for a long time, you understand that it's not. Sometimes there's just not chemistry. Mm-hmm. Like it, you just don't. You're not on the same wavelength. Like it's just something. Everything else clicks in the relationship, but for whatever reason, at this point, you're just like, uh, you don't get it. Like, the, what? I'm saying, like, clearly something was off between these two. Mm, okay. Why? Why did he not pick that up? Because he probably didn't think anything was off. Because she was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, she was S in the D. She allowed him to go between his le- her legs and pleasure right. her orally, okay? And then, uh, you know, then asked, f- you know, for you know to like to get you know oral back, and she obliged. Mm-hmm. So he's like to him, "Hey, this is going the way it is, okay? Yeah. Maybe she just does want to just like you know, like, hey, we'll just you know, maybe she's an oral and first date type of person, <laughs> like okay? briefly performed oral and then said, your turn." Okay, dude, come on. Uh, she says, and sorry began making a move on her that he repeated during their encounter. The move was taking his two fingers in a V-shape and putting them in my mouth, in my throat, to wet his fingers because the moment he'd stick his fingers in my throat, he'd go straight for my vagina to try and finger me. She called it the claw. I don't... <laughs> what? Too much porno. That guy has watched too much porn. That, what are you doing, dude? Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that had to hurt. Yeah. Yeah, he's you know he's probably got awful nails. If you didn't think that, if you don't think that, he's got very sharp <laughs> nails, dirty oyster nails. I don't know a woman who heard me say that and didn't go ooh. Yeah. It's like when you, if you didn't see a doctor. Uh, and sorry, also physically pulled her hand towards his penis throughout the night. Uh, from the first time he kissed her on the countertop, uh, he who moved my hand to his dick five to seven times. He really kept doing it after I moved it away. Uh, but the main thing that he wouldn't let her move away from him, she compared the path they cut across the apartment to a football play. It was 30 minutes of me getting up and moving and him following and sticking his fingers down my throat again. It was really repetitive. It felt like a fucking game. Like, Huh? That makes no sense. Have you ever been involved in anything that sounds like that? No, no. That, that, me that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. No. That's like, okay, so he was putting his hands in your mouth, and you guys just kept moving around the, his uh, house? Is this, is this his townhouse? Again, as if, if she's telling the it, gospel a, of what happened, like, how did this not guy, guy not pick up on the signals? Right. Unless it wasn't done in some playful manner. Is he a libertarian? No. 
No, I'm saying like, is he a libertarian? Is oh yeah, because he's like, yeah, re, you know, <laughs> right. INTJ in it. But you no, know, it's no, it's just you know, it's not like he's got no game, no no sexual skill, unless it's all D. He's probably packing very huge. And that's probably mm-hmm. the only thing he he's like. That's probably what he uses. It's only, and that's another thing. A lot of men have problem with sex. They view sex as only as pe- uh, penis and vagina. Is yeah. that's that is sex to a lot of men and to some women too. Um, that that that's what sex is. But so much more to it. There's no communication between these mm-hmm. two, according to the story. Like if you're a guy out there and you're being this aggressive, you were doing it wrong. Like I'm telling you, I'm being your friend right now. Unless- get, get some girlfriends, talk to an ex, and say, "What am I doing wrong?" Because if you're this aggressive, there isn't any woman who wants to be with you. Unless no, there are some women that are that aggressive. In, in, no, in the in the not in the first session, but in the f- confines of a trusting relationship where boundaries are established, and you all go, "This is what I'm into." Okay, I'll do that. But in in terms of like, I want you to claw me on a first date nobody's into that like you're I, don't, just, I don't think anyone's into clawing person. no no <laughs> except just probably some weird subset that's right. probably somebody in the chat going like dude i love the claw and but from every female that i asked about the story it was probably about five close female friends i said is this representative of how guys act in the bedroom and they all said yes most guys are this aggressive and most guys don't get the cues and so I just wanted to like, but but what type of cues? Is it just body language cues, or are you actually a woman opening? running away from you? While That's you're the other bo- thing. That sounds like crap to me. That sounds like what you, is, you're not Pepe Le Pew. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's what it sounds like. This sounds like a freaking cartoon. Like I'm this, like, this is not real life. This doesn't sound real. This poor girl had paint straight. Well, how big is this townhouse? <laughs> right. This townhouse is huge. All right. Throughout the course of her short and time, he's got in the, no no furniture. All right. Throughout the course of the course of her short time short time in the apartment, she says she used verbal and nonverbal cues to indicate how uncomfortable and distressed she was. Most of my discomfort was expressed in me pulling away and mumbling. I know that my hand stopped from moving at some points. I stopped moving my lips and turned cold. Okay, well, like I don't want to date a woman who like mumbles. Like I, I want. I, I mean. Uh, apparently, uh, thanks, Logan. He says there's a clawing section at babe.com. <laughs> um, as, as a man, I don't want a weak woman. And I don't think there are a lot of women who want a weak man. They don't want mumblers. They don't want people who will allow people to do things to them that they don't want to do. Like, there's a difference between violent assault and what we're hearing here, which is a very, sounds like a very, like, anecdotally, and talking to my friends and hearing their opinions from talking to their friends, this is anecdotally a very common sexual experience in 2018, which is sad. That is sad. Because this is not fulfilling for either one of these people. It's not even worth it. Like, what is the point of this? Like, you'd, you would get more out of the evening by just trying to, like, have a genuine connection with someone and not trying to rush to sex. How about just Hitachi and World of Warcraft? That sound, that's quicker. <laughs> You're done. Oysters would have been cheap because oysters for one, wine for one. <laughs> right. Like, nothing about this night sounds fulfilling. Nothing about our sexual culture now is fulfilling. And it just, it's sad to me. And so I, I look at this and I, I just like, want to use my voice to say, like, if you are this guy or if you are this girl, don't be one of these people. Mm-hmm. Like, stand up for yourself. Like, have some dignity and say, no, I don't want you to claw me. Like, 
so many people, especially at 22. Like, I have to give her a break because she's 20 fucking two years old. Like, who at 22 has the courage to stand up and say, no, especially to somebody that is famous that you think could, with one tweet, ruin your life? Like, so I do have to cut her some slack there. First off, but... from what I have experienced, mm-hmm. I recommend not sticking your fingers up anyone unless you have manicured fingers, your nails <laughs> right. are back, and your hands are clean. I, I have because if you have sm- if you don't if you, if it's not smooth and your fingers got all these massive calluses on it, that's fun for no person who two, wants that. No two, one wants that inside them. Two is aggressive. Two fingers in the first place. So, anyways, but my point is, Grace, say to the man. I am uncomfortable right now. You are making me uncomfortable. I am not enjoying the situation. Please mm-hmm. stop. Put on your clothes and leave or say, I like you. I think you're a very nice person, but this is a little faster than I. Like, that's what men want to hear. Like, they want to hear, uh, not two fingers and the claw. Try one. Right. Or I don't like when you do this. Yep. Like, men want direction. Men are very stupid. Mm-hmm. Men are very stupid, and I include myself. Like, when it comes to sexual relationships, men need to be hit in the face with a shovel. And so, to him, to Not his... Hypothetical dumb, shovel. And let's say pay extra for the shovel. To his dumb brain, he is seeing, well, she's had her mouth on my penis, so it's a go time. I just need to be more aggressive mm-hmm. and do more of that because it seems to be working. Or he's also had other relationships where some women just like, I'm with the star. I'm going to fake it. This is what all women like. Right. Yada, yada, yada. Like it. When it's to someone, they're like, hey... I don't like this. Right. That's another thing is you're right. Men take very good direction. So like also if, you know, you fake an orgasm with a man, if you actually show him how to give you one, trust you, he's going to do that. He will do whatever it takes. Yeah. Whatever it takes every freaking time, especially if he knows he's doing it right. Men are strategists. He wants, you know. We want to win the battle and the war. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You tell us how to do it. Right. And the thing is, it's like, well, you should know. Nope, we do not. We, we, we no we clue. Don't know. Mm-mm. We don't know. And the info tapes that we have, the millions and billions of videos that we have watched online, has not prepared us. No, though porn is like the worst thing you can do to yourself. If you're a young man out there, like porn is not indicative of anything in real life. It is, and it and it and it truly does block you from having true intimacy and understanding what true intimacy is. Like, if you're a woman and uh, you have met a man who knows what he's doing, it's because some woman out there had the courage to say, hey, dummy, stop doing that. (laughs) Like, so be that woman. Mm -hmm. Be the man who says, "Uh, maybe chasing her around the apartment isn't the right thing to do. And be the woman who says, I'm uncomfortable, please do this, or Mm -hmm. don't do this. Yeah. Uh, And that's just the whole whole thing here. Uh, So... He didn't notice her reticence or knowingly ignored it is impossible for her to say. I know I was physically giving off cues that I wasn't interested. I don't think that was noticed at all, or if it was, it was ignored. And sorry I wanted to have sex. She remembers asking him again and again, where do you want me to F you? While she was still seated on the countertop, she said she found the question tough to answer because she didn't want him to do it at all. I wasn't even really thinking about that. I didn't want to be engaged in that with him, but he kept asking. So I said, next time. And he goes, oh, you mean a second date? And I go, oh, yeah, sure. And he uh, goes, well, if I poured you another glass of wine now, would it count as our second date? Which, like, dude, okay. Wow. That's a scumbag line. Like, Mm -hmm. we know you realize what's going on. Like, a comedian, comedians are high-intelligence people. And the majority of them are sensitive people. I, I just have a hard time believing he didn't know what was up. 
Um, he then poured her a glass, handed it to her. She excused herself to the bathroom. Uh, she spent about five minutes in there collecting herself. Uh, she went back to Ansari, asked if she, he asked if she was okay. I said, I don't want to feel forced because then I'll hate you, and I'd rather not hate you. Um, she, she said at first he, she was happy how he reacted. He said, oh, of course. It's only fun if we're both having fun. The response was technically very sweet and acknowledging the fact that I was very uncomfortable. Verbally in that moment, he acknowledged that I needed to take it slow. So let's just till over on the couch, he said. Um, this moment is particularly significant because she thought that that would be the end of the sexual encounter. His Her remark about not wanting to feel forced had added a verbal component to the cues she was trying to give him about her discomfort. Mm-hmm. When she sat down on the floor next to Ansari, who sat on the couch... She thought he might rub her back or play with her hair, something to calm her down. And sorry, instructed her to turn around. He sat back, pointed to his penis, and motioned for me to go down on him. And I did. I think I just felt really pressured. It was literally the most unexpected thing I thought would happen at that moment because I told him I was uncomfortable. So, again, a failure on both parts. And I just have to say, like, as a 35-year-old man... Dealing with a 22-year-old woman, you know what you were doing. You have the opportunity to be a decent man. Like, I, I think there, there needs to be a, a conversation amongst men that says, why don't you try decency? <laughs> like, I know that the, the, uh, the trope is that we're all just sex-starved maniacs and we have no responsibility or control over what our penis does. And we just all we want to do is fuck all the time. Like, no, you you should have some decency. Like, you should have some respect for a woman and say, uh, "I totally get it." Game over. Instead, you like sit down and go, mm, "Penis, mouth, you." Like, like to me, this is a failure of him as a more mature, a more experienced man taking advantage of a young girl. Who he knows, it's like the Louis C.K. line, which I thought was just so fucking like, oh, that's exactly it. Like, where he basically says, uh, you know, me asking to masturbate in front of them. Yes, they had the opportunity to say no, but I wasn't posing a question to them. I was posing a predicament. And I think Aziz Ansari knows his responsibility, knows what he's doing, and he's misusing it. Like, that part right there tells me that the dude was, like, taking advantage of somebody that he knew he could manipulate. That's where I have a problem with it. Like, you as a man have a responsibility to not manipulate people. And you have to be aware of when you're causing someone a predicament in sexual situations. Like, it it just... I I just... uh, Well, it's all on the woman to be the one that says no and stop. I don't agree with that. I I think that men have just as much of a responsibility to make sure that if you're knocking on the door, are you okay with this? No. Okay. Game over. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But to me, I believe everything that you're saying, and I I agree with everything you're saying. Just because two people are naked in a bed together, it doesn't mean she wants to have sex with you. Check first. Ask nicely. And I we're married say, now. I don't have to check. Yeah, I know. But in my situation, as a ma- as a single man who's dating, fifty uh-huh. percent of the time it's no. I don't want to right now. Mm-hmm. And I and I just think about all. I, it really hit me in the middle of the Me Too stuff in a recent situation where it. A lot of guys just don't even ask that question. They just go for it, and then the woman goes, "Well, might as well. 
I'll just get through this. Got to keep going until they tell you no. Right. And I just don't believe in that. I think, like, that's disrespectful of the person that you're with. Yeah. And I think that there is an opportunity for men to be decent and to be respectful. And especially a guy who is as as aware of human relationships as as Aziz is mm-hmm. in a situation with a 22-year-old girl who is, like, got in a situation where... She's clearly having a – if this is all how it went down, she's clearly freaking the fuck out. How do you not notice that? She's going to the bathroom, splashing water on her face. She's freaking out. You know, like, come on, dude. Yeah I, yeah, I get that. That's why this whole story sounds just like a fictional story. There's some fluff to me. It sounds a lot of fluff has been added to this. I tell me some things feel like the timeline is screwed up on this whole thing and that this this whole story – makes no sense right okay sounds like his apartment his townhouse is you know three thousand square feet uh you know that someone went to the bathroom so she was alone in the bathroom did she have her phone text she could have got an uber then mm-hmm. she could do anything she you know she felt like she couldn't say this to his face and then it was like so you sat down and like why well, i want him to calm me down did anything as any of the cues look like he was into calming you the f down? At, at, well, is this a person? At what point did any of this sound like? What he wanted to calm you down with this D? He wanted to calm you down with right? Like at what point is this the type of person that will calm you down? Yeah, going to rub your back. She barely rubbed your. I was going uh, right. Like he he, see, bre- he yeah, briefly. See how, yeah, the yeah, other word. Like he he's just not being in my. It's not a dirty word. Yeah, he was rubber like, clit, rubber. You know, rub it, relax it. He, he wouldn't even right. do that for a long period of time. And you think he's going to rub your back for any time? That seemed missing cues on her point there. That's why I said this whole thing sounds weird to me. Yeah. So. Uh, so anyways, uh, rub her back, go down him, she did. Soon he pulled her back onto the couch. She would tell her friend later in the text night, he made out with me again, says, doesn't look like you hate me. Halfway into the encounter, he led her from the couch to a different part of his uh, apartment. Uh, it, Larry Brown asks, why are men responsible to stop? I'm not saying that you have all of the responsibility, but I'm saying that you do have some responsibility if you, you, you can ask the question. I'm not saying that... Uh, you are like in Britain. It was the man's job. So, so this is, and I thought Ben Shapiro had a really interesting point on this. Uh, he said, you know, back when society considered a sex, like he, men's sexual desires have not changed. They want to procreate. They want to have sex. Women's liberation, women and feminism has has gone from you have sex inside of marriage. Everybody understands that is the the deal. That if you want to have sex, then you get married. And then it moved to you only have sex inside of a committed relationship. And then it now it's you want to have sex all the time. It is your duty as a woman to have as much sex as you want. You are – I have a lot of young female friends who are virgins who are shamed for that. And, and like, when, you need to lose your virginity as fast as possible. And so, like, that, that notion of virginity is, is they're being treated like men. Mm-hmm. So everybody's equal. Everybody's pressured to lose their virginity as soon as possible. And uh, he said, uh, Ben Shapiro went on, like, so when you change the, the institution of chastity and you demean it and you change its meaning and, and all the rules are completely unwritten and there are no clear social norms anymore then Mm -hmm. you get all of these messy situations 
And so the expectation that I take you out on a date, we're not going to have sex. We're going to bond with one another. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to get to know each other without the complications of sex. What was wrong with that? And I completely agree with that. Like what what is, you know, if if your goal in dating is to get laid, that's fine if that's your goal. Mm-hmm. But if your goal is to, I'm going to get laid and then try and find out if this person is a life partner, you've really started in a weird, precarious position. If you have sex on the first date and then try to figure out if they're a life partner, I think that that is, in my experience, that is far less, uh, the success rate's far less. Now you're like, see, now you can see, hit on re- re- the reason why you see a lot of couples, the newer couples are meeting online, right? From video games. Because when you're meeting someone in the video game, they can live not close to you, you know, and the, you're doing an activity that you both love, you both enjoy doing, and you enjoy that activity. You get to know each other. And it explains why there's so many more relationships. Like, how'd you meet her? Oh, I. You know, we raided like we did over six hundred hours of WoW together. You know, mm-hmm. you know, so we just you know decided to hook up. I was like, okay, that makes sense, especially at this day and age, because you're right. Like, it would be, um, I think, if I wanted to really just spend time with somebody, or just to get to know them, like, yeah, to me, I'd get to know someone better to see how they handle the sticks. Right. You know, pick up some sticks and see how you handle them. Right. Like it. It really is about getting to know a person. Understanding if you share the same values, mm-hmm. understand if you shame, share the same interests, if this is a person that would be a stable life partner, a stable parent, uh, genetically a good choice for you to procreate with, and then you introduce the concept of sex. Like, and, and to me, the, the more time between introduction and coitus, the, <laughs> to use the Sheldon, the better off coitus. you're going to be. Coitus. Like, coitus. Coitus. Like I, I just I just look at the 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 soup of emotion and miscommunication and misunderstanding and mistrust that goes into this entire situation and I just go, you know that the solution is here? Not to have sex. Like not to make that your goal. Like if you, having sex is your goal, fine. But I just don't I don't personally know a lot of people where that is their actual goal. Like, I think there is a myth out there that everybody's looking to hook up, and I'm sure that there are a fair percentage of people. But I think, by and large, most people are looking for connection and meaning more than they are sex. Uh, A lot of the girls I do talk to, they talk about when they get on Tinder and they look at a guy's profile, the main thing they're looking at, their profile, and their main goal, and if they can't do this, they're not even going to think about having sex with them, is that they want to play with your dog three times. They want to pet your dog. Right. They want to play with your dog. Right. You take them to the, you know, they take their dog and your dog out to, like, the dog park, and they want to do that three times before you think about even remotely having sex with you. Like, have you had your heart broken, Harry? Yes. Yes, I have. I've had my heart broken, ripped out, ripped out of my chest six times since I've been divorced in four years. Ouch. And that is because I was hell-bent on being in a relationship, because I had a need to be loved, to be externally validated, to prove to my ex-wife that I was worthy of being in a relationship. And so I would attach myself to whomever would have a conversation with me for a period of two years after my divorce. Hmm. And it caused me great misery. 
And fortunately, you know, I had a therapy session today and it was just, it was great. And she was so happy. She goes, you look like a different person. What's different? And I said, there, there isn't any, anything anybody can take from me. Like there isn't anything I need from the world. Like I, like the life that I came in here two and a half years ago Mm -hmm. wanting, I have now. And I'm very blessed and content with it. And now when I date, it's to add something to my life. Not to fill a need. Good, good. And, yes. Yeah. And 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 so sex isn't the goal. A life like a partner, uh, a person to be my companion. That mm-hmm. is the goal. And there was a period of time where sex was my goal, and it just was very awkward. It led to a lot of awful situations. It led to me getting my heart broken, broken because I was rushing into relationships trying to have sex because that's the quickest way to get validated. And it just wasn't worth it. It just was not worth it. And I, I just don't, I don't buy. I don't think that I'm that much more of a moral person than the average human being. I think, like, I just think most people kind of want the same thing. They want to be loved. They want to have kids. They want to have financial security. They want to have liberty. They want to have freedom. They want to have a good job, good friends. Like, explains why Grinder's so popular. Right. No one's on Grinder for for. Uh, uh, long-term relationships. Right. And if that's what you're into, cool. That's good. Yeah. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's not something I can do, and I find it to be meaningless, but if you can, if, if you don't, like, I'm a very sensitive person. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I have an emotional connection to sex where a lot of people don't, and that's that's just makes me different than them. Yeah. Yeah. No. So. And there's nothing wrong with that. I have a very emotional connection with sex. Right. You know, I've, it's very emotional. Yeah, um, that's why I haven't had. Okay. Larry can't wait for a little deer leader. I've only yeah because please I've, everyone pray that <laughs> seventeen days and counting. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, yeah. I've only because like I've only had one sexual. In, uh, I've only been sexual with one person, so mm-hmm. it's you know it's very emotional to me. Sure, you know it's how it is. I if I had to do it over again, yeah, I would go back and I w- that's how I would be. I mean, I wouldn't. I would. I would change a lot about the last four years, yep. to be honest, because yep. it has, it has not been as fulfilling as I thought it would be, mm-hmm. because because I waited till marriage. Mm-hmm. I lost my virginity at twenty six oh, when wow. I got married, so I was an old virgin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I Could've waited four more years, right? When I got divorced, I was like, well, you know, I'll just be a slut now. Didn't work out. It, 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 I mean, listen, it worked out plenty of times, but it wasn't as, <laughs> <laughs> like there's it's what you know, it worked out. Right. I, I just think it uh, but it, it it leads you into heartbreak quicker. And if you can if you can become secure in yourself and happy with yourself, that should be the goal. Yeah. And if another person can compliment that, then that is good. But if if you're doing if you're dating or having sex for reasons other than genuine emotional connection with the person it's not worth it well from um because this june uh lacy and i've been doing uh, dating and together for about 15 years mm-hmm. and there's i'm sure there's people listening to like oh, 15 years your relationship is so young and i get that and the main thing i get from those people is that eventually you know you have to build the, the relationship gets built off of more than sex after a while right and you have to have that you know like that companionship so if you end up like in a relationship or with somebody that the only thing you guys had, you know, thing with sex, maybe that worked out for you, but is it going to go after seven years? No. How, how are you going to do after seven years after that? Yeah. Like, so I, I, 
if you're if you're a young guy out there and you want more along these lines, there's a great podcast called Mating Grounds, and I've recommended this book before. It's called Mate by Tucker Max and Jeffrey Miller. Jeffrey with a G. Uh, and basically, Tucker Max was the guy who wrote "I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell." Yeah, and uh, assholes finish first. And he basically, in his twenties, was just a huge slut, and you know, had sex with like Britney Spears and a bunch of famous people. And uh, Jeffrey Miller's an evolutionary biologist, so he basically like comes at it from the evolutionary angle, and they basically outline attraction and. You know, Tucker Max is a much different person than he was and in a in a marriage at this point. And basically they go through how to make yourself more attractive to women. And it's not through negging and doing a bunch of the dumb shit that you read in the game and all this manipulative crap that you read. You know, I love Robert Greene's books. I think they're brilliant, but they're not like you know, quit trying to be, go after the sirens, <laughs> like just be a genuine person. That's what people want. They want authenticity and like mate and the matings ground podcast, I think will do you a lot of good. And and I think it helps women too. I think if you're trying to figure out what makes, what is human, what is the foundation of human attractiveness? Well, look at Aziz Ansari. He has social proof. Other people talk about Aziz Ansari. He has financial means so he has the ability to take care of his mate financially he has physical looks uh he is uh he is an intelligent person comedy is comedy you can't be funny if you're stupid like you just can't be uh at least well you can be dumb successful not not like on purpose funny uh (laughs) but yeah just won't be successful at it right like so Aziz Ansari has these traits that make him attractive, and so that's why he's attractive. And so you have to find out what you're good at. For me, I'm an intelligent person who is funny, and and uh, like physically, I'm I'm like a two, but like mentally, intellectually, I'm like an eight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so the, and so women will be attracted to the intelligent side, even though I'm a big fatty. So you you have different things, that, and I have social proof. I have people who say I'm a good person, mm-hmm. and the beard helps, and the podcast has right the podcast. The beard, That's social proof. The beard is physical attractiveness. When we get um, Clayton's truck, and we'll get that all met up. That <laughs> extra two to you. you just got to make sure your truck is black, and we'll make it look nice. So essentially, uh, then they try to watch Seinfeld, and she'd never seen Seinfeld. Come on. Oh, you should have um, ended the date. Should have yeah. just ended the date right there. Like what? So she essentially says, you guys are all the same. She leaves. Uh, she felt violated. I felt really emotional at once. We sat down there. The whole experience was actually horrible. He should feel violated. She never saw, you know, Seinfeld. So this is this is his uh, statement. Um, they th- he, he, he released a statement denying sexual misconduct. Sexual misconduct is like a new term in the last year. And it's a great term to just smear anybody with anything, and it's just like a nice little basket word. And so every every single human being on the planet has committed sexual misconduct at, at, conduct at some point, and it sounds very official. N- very few people have committed sexual assault, sexual battery, but everybody's con- you know. So you can smear everybody with it. 
Uh, Ansari says, in September of last year, I met a woman at a party. We exchanged numbers. We texted back and forth and eventually went on a date. We went out to dinner, and afterwards we ended up engaging in sexual activity, which by all indications was completely uh, consensual. The next day I got a text from her saying that although it may have seemed okay, upon further reflection, she felt uncomfortable. It was true that everything did seem okay to me, so when I heard that that was not the case for her, I was surprised and concerned. I took her words to heart and responded privately after taking the time to process what she had said. I continue to support the movement that is happening in our culture. It is necessary and long overdue. I feel like I do need to um, say um, th- I don't think that this printed out the actual text messages, but you know, at, at every point when she said she felt uncomfortable, he stopped. And when she texted him and said, I didn't think that was okay, he apologized. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not the signs of a sexual predator. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just not. Yeah. You know, but again, it's just you know, this. He's not like raping some passed out girl behind a dumpster. Right. Like, was he one? Like, I think we kind of broke this down, but like neither of them were uh, angels in this situation. But I, I feel that he definitely took advantage and he was pushing the envelope and he being the older person in that situation by nearly 15 years should know better in a lot of those situations. So, um, all right. So this is from the Atlantic and, uh, the feminists went nuts about this and not in the way that you think. So, uh, Vox wrote a piece that was kind of anti Anzari. Uh, the Aziz Anzari story is ordinary and that's why we have to talk about it. Uh, and so they kind of outline it. And they outline some of the stuff that we've kind of talked about, the problems with it, um, and and kind of push the narrative that we said where you know, women need to – like there's – here's the problem. Like in the chastity system, <laughs> like everybody's clear on what the roles are going into it, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I have found that there has been kind of – as I've had conversations with women over the last couple of years – like the first question I'm asked on Bumble now is what are you expecting from this? And I say, I'm looking for a long-term relationship with somebody that I care about and respect. And they go, good, me too. Because they're tired of getting the dick pic messages right away saying, I'm, let me lick your asshole. Like it's, it's just, it's, uh, it's miserable out there for women and they're tired of our shit. Mm-hmm. And it's the guys who, send abusive messages on tinder that ruin it for the rest like the other 60 percent you know so i just yeah and, and to balance it out let's balance with the scales i was hit women real quick I'm women right in the go face. for it is the foodie call women you know who you are out there on tinder and bumble that have no intention of sleeping continue the relationship with somebody you're doing it because you're hungry or you're just buying <laughs> dinner out and if you're like hey i can't believe you're saying that's sexist come on Come on, I've got. I can get on internet right now, and I've got. I can get here on Whisper, and I can show you all kinds of women who have been of doing that. Of course, and I will tell you, there is a, a one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. She admitted to me that she went out on about five more dates with me than she wanted to, mm-hmm. just because she liked. She kind of liked getting free food. Yeah, 
And you know, th- but I had the last laugh because she's she and I have become best friends. Nice. That's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like those extra five free meals that she was looking for, mm-hmm. like kind of kept us. It became more about friendship mm-hmm. because there wasn't anything physical between us. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it wasn't like she. I don't know. She's yeah. super awkward. Yeah. And, and uh, so so then, but then I kind of changed over the course of the friendship based on therapy, going mm-hmm. to therapy, and she's like, "You're actually all right." <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah and and it's great that self-reflection like that and that's why like i thought it was funny with the guy who was doing that he would order massive steaks and disappear in the middle of the dinner right. after eating his steak head over to this massive expensive meal go to the bathroom and just doop, skadoodle it's hilarious so this is uh from the atlantic by van r newkirk she's a feminist Uh-oh. and uh the humiliation of aziz ansari is the title of it, and uh, later on in the article she writes, was she kind of compares her growing up and how to deal with sexual relationships. Um, was Grace frozen, terrified, stuck? No. She tells us she wanted something from Ansari and that she was trying to figure out how to get it. She wanted affection, kindness, attention. Perhaps she hoped to maybe even become the famous man's girlfriend. He wasn't interested. When she felt afterwards rejected yet another time by yet another man was regret. And what she and the writer who told her story created was 3,000 words of revenge porn. The clinical detail in which the story is told is not intended to validate her account as much as it is to hurt and humiliate Ansari. Mm. Together, the two women may have destroyed Ansari's career, which is now the punishment for every kind of male sexual misconduct from the grotesque to the disappointing. And I think that's like the point. Like it's disappointing that account, but that's also kind of like a private thing between those two people. That's right. not a crime. Nothing that he did was a crime. Mm-hmm. And so I think she kind of had a point about the revenge porn. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, yeah, 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 yeah. The real winner was uh, by, uh, I, I wish that uh, I had printed her name. <laughs> but well, the, the lady the, wrote the article not new york times yes the feminist that wrote this article aziz ansari is guilty of not being a mind reader i'm apparently <laughs> the victim of sexual assault and if you're a sexually active woman in the 21st century you are too that is what i learned from the expose quote-unquote of ansari published this week by the feminist website babe arguably the worst thing that has happened in the me too movement since it began in october transforms what ought to be a movement for women's empowerment into an emblem for female helplessness. The headline primes the reader to grid for the very worst. I went on a date with Ansari. It turned into the worst night of my life. Like everyone else, I clicked. The victim of this 3,000-word story called Grace, not a real name, and her saga with Mr. Ansari begin, blah, 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 blah. They go on. uh, And so she kind of describes what happened. Um... They got dressed, sat on the couch, watched Seinfeld, said to him, you guys are all the same. He called her an Uber. She cried, fiend. If you are wondering about what about this constituted the worst night of Grace's life or why it is being framed as a Me Too story by a feminist website, you probably feel as confused as Mr. Ansari did the next day. It was fun meeting you last night, he texted. Last night might have been fun for you, but it wasn't fun for me, she responded. You ignored clear nonverbal cues. You kept going with advances. You had to you had to have noticed I was uncomfortable, he replied with an apology. Read Grace's text message again. Put in other words, I am angry that you weren't able to read my mind. It is worth carefully studying Grace's story, encoded in it 
are new yet deeply retrograde ideas about what constitutes consent and what constitutes sexual violence. We are told by the reporter that Grace says she used verbal and nonverbal cues. Uh, she adds that whether Ansardi didn't notice, uh, it is impossible for her to say, but we are told he wouldn't let her move away from him in the encounter. Uh, he said that it was all consensual. I'm a proud feminist, and this is what I thought while reading Grace's story. If you are hanging out naked with a man, it is safe to assume he is going to try to have sex with you. If the inability to choose a pin, pino, uh, Pinot Noir over Pinot Grigio... Pinot, yeah, Pinot Noir. Noir over Grigio offends you, you can leave right then and there. If you don't like the way your date hustles through paying the check, you can say, I've had a lovely evening and I'm going home now. If you go home with him and discover he's a terrible kisser, say, I'm out. If you start to hook up with him and don't like the way he smells or the way he talks or doesn't talk, end it. If he pressures you to do something you don't want to do, use a four-letter word, stand up on your two legs, and walk out the door. And sorry sounds like he was aggressive and selfish and obnoxious that night. It isn't, isn't it heartbreaking and depressing that men, especially ones who present themselves as feminists in public, so often act this way in private? Shouldn't we try to change our broken sexual culture? And isn't it enraging that women are socialized to be docile and accommodating and to put men's desires before their own? Yes, yes, yes. And I agree with that. I agree mm -hmm. with everything she just said. But the solution to these problems does not begin with women torching men for failing to understand their quote-unquote nonverbal cues. It is for women to be more verbal. It's to say, this, what's, this is what turns me on. It is, it's to say, I don't want to do that. And yes, it sometimes means saying piss off. The single most distressing thing to me about her story is that the only person with any agency in the story seems to be Aziz Ansari. Grace is merely acted upon. Agency means that she has the ability to make decisions for herself, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, you may hear that word agency. That's what it means. Yep. That she is a thinking being who has control over herself. She's an individual. Couldn't be a more libertarian concept. Exactly. Uh, all of this put me in the mind of another piece published this week, this one by the novelist and feminine icon, uh, feminist icon Margaret Atwood. My fundamental position is that women are human beings, she writes, nor do I believe that women are children incapable of agency or making moral decisions. If they were, we're back to the 19th century, and women should not own property, have credit cards, or have access to higher education, control their own reproduction or vote. They are powerful groups in North America pushing this agenda, but they are not usually considered feminists, except increasingly they are. Uh, Grace's story was met with so many digital hosannas by young feminists who insisted that consent is only consent if affirmative, active, continuous, and, if this word is most used, enthusiastic. Consent isn't the only thing they are r radically redefining. A recent survey by The Economist YouGov found that approximately 25% of millennial-age American men think Asking someone for a drink is harassment. More than a third of millennial men and women say if a man compliments a woman's looks, it is harassment. To judge from social media to the Grace story, they also see a flagrant abuse of power in this sexual encounter. Yes, Mr. Ansari is wealthy celebrity with a Netflix show, but he has actual no actual power over Grace, professionally or otherwise and lumping him in with the same movement that brought down men who ran movie studios and forced themselves on actresses or the factory floor supervisors who demanded sex with women work, or woman workers trivializes what Me Too stood for. 
I'm sorry Grace had this experience. I've too had lousy romantic encounters, as has every adult woman I know. I've regretted these encounters and not saying anything at all. And I have regretted them and said so like Grace did, and I know I'm lucky that none of these unpleasant moments were far enough from being anything approaching assault or rape, or even the worst night of my life. But the response to Grace's story makes me think many of my fellow feminists might insist my experience was just that. And for me to define it otherwise was nothing more than my internalized misogyny. Oh. <laughs> misogyny. Uh, there, is, there is a useful term for what Grace experienced on her night with Mr. Ansari. It's called bad sex. It sucks. The feminist answer is to push, push for a culture in which boys and young men are taught that sex does not have to be pursued like they're in a porn film and one in which girls and young women are empowered to be bolder, braver, louder about what they want. The insidious attempt by someone to criminalize awkward, gross, and entitled sex, boy, every libertarian would be a criminal, Mm -hmm. takes women back to the days of smelling salts and fainting couches. That's somewhere I, for one, don't want to go. Yeah. When they talk about, like, who's going to teach men, sorry, that's going to be the other person in the sexual counter teaching the other person how they want to be pleased. It's because, right. be, yeah, be, and it was like, well, what is my responsibility? Trust me. Uh, if um, how many times have a guy has said like, hey, you know, the, I like that you have enthusiasm when you're giving me oil, but you know, uh, if you could, the dryness on your tongue and eh, doesn't bleed the best. Can I have a little more saliva? Do you need a water? Also, the teeth. Come on, really, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And um, also, you know. Uh, while you're down there, can you wear this hat? It just makes me feel better. Wear this hat? Yeah. Make America, make America great again hat. <laughs> you, want, you want Lacey to wear a MAGA hat yeah, while she's going MAGA down hat? on you? It's, oh, man. It really gets you going? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you hate fucking the president? <laughs> okay. <laughs> man. Uh, all right. So I feel we're we're done with that. Uh, we've, we've, officially, yeah. we've officially explained a way... The misogynies. Everyone's problems are solved. A mm-hmm. couple of quick stories that I want you to be aware of. Uh, this just coming through while we were on the podcast. Uh, a former CIA officer suspected by investigators of helping China dismantle United States spying operations and identify informants has been arrested, the Justice Department said. Uh, today, the collapse of the spy network is one of American government's worst intelligence failures in recent years. The arrest of former officer Jerry Chun Jerry Chun Sing Lee, 53, capped an intense FBI inquiry that began around 2012, two years after the CIA began losing its informants in China. Investigators confronted an enduring mystery. How did the names of so many CIA sources among the agency's most dearly held secrets end up in Chinese hands? Some intelligence officials believe that a mole inside the CIA was exposing its roster of informants. Others thought that the Chinese government had hacked the CIA's covert communications used to talk to foreign service, foreign sources of information. Um, still, other former intelligence have also argued that the spy network might have been crippled by a combination of both as well as sloppy tradecraft by agency offers in China, the counterintelligence investigation into how the Chinese managed to hunt down American agents with a source of friction between the CIA and FBI. Uh, Mr. Lee, who left the CIA in 07, has been living in Hong Kong and working for a well-known auction house, was apprehended at Kennedy Airport on Monday and charged in federal court in Northern Virginia. Uh, So, uh, just to let you know, we have a real-life trader. 
on our hands. So I'd like that Snowden or the Chelsea Manning. <laughs> right. Who's running for Senate? Yep. Uh, listen, I uh, respect what Chelsea Manning did, but I do find that the excessive use of emojis is a sign of mental illness. <laughs> so I I had to unfollow her because I just couldn't take it anymore. I plan on talking about that tomorrow. All right. So if you want to, you know, because I've got some choice words for her. Uh, finally, schools attempt to ban kids from having best friends because it's not inclusive by Kat Temp on NationalReview.com. Uh, social engineers and language police won't change human nature. We all like some people much more than others. According to a U.S. piece in News and World, U.S. News and World Report, some schools in the U.S. and Europe are attempting to ban the entire concept of children having best friends because it's not inclusive and kids get hurt. The notion of choosing best friends is deeply embedded in our culture, uh, said in the piece, should schools ban kids from having best friends. According to Greenberg, there is something dreadfully exclusionary occurring when a middle schooler tells the girl sitting next to her that she is best friends with the girl sitting in front of them. Child after child comes into my therapy office distressed when their best friend has now given someone else this coveted title. <laughs> Fuck you, you lunatic. <laughs> That's why I'm raising Gunther to be a uh, bully. <laughs> really? Yeah, she's going to be a bully. She's going to be a bully, is she? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You feel easier. that's healthy? Uh, Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's going to be easier um, because a lot of people will, will hate her all through school. Right. But when they're like, but her, everyone around her will do so much better because, you know, they actually had a, you know, actually did that. They had to deal with the bully. And know? then they'll be one little fat kid that'll be a comedian mm-hmm. thanks to her. Yep. That's mm-hmm. what happened in my case. You know why <laughs> I have an excessive need to talk on a podcast for three hours? Because bullies. I was bullied. bullied. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> I, will, I'm, I will be heard, okay? Yep. I was bullied up until I figured out how big I was. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I never knew. Like, I, was, like, I was always tiny, short, and fat, and I never knew when I had my massive growth spurt, I didn't know anything changed that much. So, l- lesson for you, if you don't want libertarian podcasts, be nice to every kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just ridiculous. It's human nature. Like, you're never going to... Legislate away human nature. Stop it. You're all fucking ridiculous. If your child goes to a school that tries to do this, you must immediately remove them. It is your duty as a good parent. Uh, All right. Final thoughts for this episode, Harry. Um, Final thoughts for the episode. When it. All right. So when it comes to like when. Okay. A lot of the things, a lot of the things that can be explained through the things that happen in other countries besides the United States, can you can just quick Google search, duck, 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 go search and look up the history and see all the things that have happened to this country and understand how it got to this point. And a lot of the things that, you know, could just, if you cross-reference the dates and times, you can see how it was just kind of, it was made to be this way. Right. Uh, and if you want things to change, well, you know how to change the things. Best thing to get the things that pull a third world country out of its crap hole is to capitalism. That's sorry. Yep. That's the that's the only freaking way. Um, if you don't, you know, it, it's the only thing that has done anything that has pulled anybody up. Other than that, it's you know everything just kind of just stays the same. It is the way. Yeah. It, it's no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the other thing is um, always remember. Um, 
Take everything written from babe.net with a grain of salt. Uh, the Flight of Fancy article has gone around everywhere. I, I'm waiting. Uh, I'm still going to I'm just gonna hold my breath and wait for it to come out as a hoax or things were elaborated on. Just kind of like the Canadian girl who got her, uh, tried to get her job cut with scissors, <laughs> you know, or the other million other cases that, you know, when someone says some ridiculous claim and you can, go, you know, look at that and go like, I, that didn't happen. Yeah, that, that didn't happen because <laughs> it just that just sounds too ridiculous, you know. Or there's things missing. Um, the other thing I wanted to go back on is don't forget on Wednesday we are going to stream on Twitch. You know, I want to get started at seven, but it seems like with these frigid cold temperatures, um, uh, Lacey is only getting home around is getting home late, so she's not able to take Gunther. Mm-hmm. Early enough for me to allow me to stream. Right. So, like I said, you know, so make sure you guys, you know, if you see her around or see anything, you know, tell her thank you because she's taking another night to let me go out and do other things. She doesn't yeah. have to. She she worked all day. She deserves some time to herself. But, right. you know, she knows I enjoyed this and she knows you guys enjoy this. So, if you guys see her around or see someone like see her out there on the internet. Give her the claw. <laughs> Don't give her the claw. Get your hand broken. Um <laughs> Let's right, see. that's the woman you want to marry. You want to man like you give me the claw, I'm breaking your hand. Yeah, yeah, breaking your hand. Yeah, or you know, I I I like strong women. Um, me too. You know, I think I got Lacey to squat close to 200 pounds one time. <laughs> you know, I like I'm strong. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, you know. <laughs> Good genetics in the legs. Heck yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. like there's so many t- you know how many times I've been drunk in Broad Ripple and had Lacey carry me to the car. Okay. <laughs> you are the woman in the relationship, aren't you? Sometimes, yeah. And it's, it's like I'm drunk, carry me. Yeah. And she just picks me up and carries me to the car. <laughs> and I just sit there, you know. What the best time is when we stopped and got uh I got a burrito from Burritos Bigger Head and yeah, I'm dating myself now when I was twenty one and like Broad Ripple and mm-hmm. I ate that as she carried me to the car. Right. Anyways, so that and the other thing I wanted to talk about is something that um, um, I have been missing, Brett. You know, we used to do all this stuff together and he's gone now. So to bring up for it, um, I've been wanting also to try to like put my claws in this and take this thing over. But um, I, um, myself and Paul, we've taken back. We're taking it back. Um, we're doing this event called uh, Liberty Until Liberty Until was an event that yeah. Brett brought from doing an event out and i want to say he said he would did it out in atlanta and no liberty and chill was a name that i created I, i'm asked to say with brett okay okay sorry sorry no. please 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 I, it was tell me the real history idea. fact checked it and bittner moved here from atlanta and had no friends and uh-huh. so he started liberty and chill uh-huh. so he could have friends but uh-huh. unfortunately it just exposed more people to bittner uh-huh uh-huh and uh it wasn't good. People, a lot of people caught Bittner. Mm, okay. Okay. So. All right. All right. Got the real history. But it was his idea. Got that real history. Just like when you try to ask the Amcha what happened. Anyways, um, so, so I like the idea of the event. I enjoy going on like Fridays. But the venue that we had that that that, that Bittner or you or whoever picked it, I hate it. it was that this a brewery called Black Acre? If you work there, 
I hate going there. I couldn't hear. I uh, yeah, can't hear. Um, the servers seem like most of them hated us the moment they get there. I think the only time they liked us is when Jesse Riddle was there, and Jesse kind of like made them like us because he speaks uh, the hipster language. Yeah, but other than that, they hated us every time we showed up. But they took our money, and it was always the parking was terrible in it. The Irvington area sucked, food and I, sucked, and the food sucked. And like I said, they just like they didn't want to cater to us. And I always look for a different venue. And since it's, I'm taking the event back and I'm running the event, so it's going to be Liberty and Chill presented by Wall at Triton Brewery on Fort Ben. So it's on the Fort, not the one in Broad Ripple. You want to go up to one on, on Wheeler Road on Fort Ben. I've got a group here uh, on, um, if you search for Liberty Ampersand Chill or just get the Discord for Liberty Chill um, room. It's off of 5764 Wheeler Road. We're going to get there around, you know, uh, it's, I'm going to be there about probably around like 536 o'clock. Um, uh, and we're just going to go to like the thing closes at 10. So it's not going to be open super late. It's a brewery. It's a brew house. They just now got their kitchen in. So this Friday is going to be like their first real Friday open. So let's make them work. <laughs> Nice. So if you're in the if you're in the Lawrence, you know, air, here Lawrence, Indiana, you want to come on out. I'll be there. Paul will be there. What time is it? It'll be uh, uh, should be around. Uh, Paul put it at seven, but it should be six o'clock. We'll mm. be there at six. Yeah. See, we we did it at five because that's you know like everybody gets off work at five, and Fine, then it's just I can kinda... put it to five o'clock. That's why we have the planning committee. You never talked in there, okay? Okay. <laughs> Listen, you asshole. You created a secret group. In our on our in in the we are libertarians world and didn't invite me in it. <laughs> secret 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 planning group. Yeah, so we're going to do that. So um, they've got cool beers there. Um, they uh, so they just got their new menu. So and it hasn't been released yet. Releases tomorrow. I'm planning on going there to take some pictures of the menu and put it out there to show everyone like this is what they can expect for the food there. Uh, the other thing is since it is a brew house. You can bring people who are under 21 in there. So all those people that said they couldn't come or had to leave early because they either have to pick up their kid or something like that, it's a brew house. You can bring them. It's okay. They can sit there, have soda, have a drink, hang nice. out, with, hang out with your libertarian friends. Um, also, with Triton being on the fort, the place is huge. So there's tons. Of, you can't really. Well, you can play out there. They like play in the snow. They play out in the snow. But uh, during the summertime, in the spring area, in the fall. Uh, it's huge. You can drop them off at the the YMCA that's close by. Have them, if you have a Y, you can let them play at the Y. Drop them off at the state park for Benjamin State Park that's over there. There's a track. There's a huge area. They can go out and ride their bikes or just play outside. Whee! But it's a lot of fun. I'm going to be there with Gunther. Uh, I'm going to bring my laptop. I'm going to attempt to stream IRL to Twitch. I'm going to do my best. Nice. I've never done IRL streaming. Never wanted to. I'm going to do. I'm going to. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to try it out. So, yeah, and that's happening this Friday. It's going to be every Friday after that. Um, we're just having some issues with the Facebook thing. I'm trying to find out what happened because I was planning on doing a mass invite right now, and it's not let me. Yeah, and I've got to find out what happened. Uh, Facebook sucks. That's what. Yeah, because Facebook sucks, and I hate Facebook. I should have did Meetup. I should have just went straight to Meetup. But it's okay. I've got Discord. You know, so I'm gonna put everything in Discord and Liberty, yeah, Liberty and Chill thing in the in the Discord group. So please come out if you can't make this one. This is the first one. Come next Friday, Friday after that. Hey, I I like it. I it's my favorite brewery. I hang out there on Fridays, anyways. Um, so yeah, 
It's where I'll be. Come hang out. So here's what I'd like to do after we kind of get things settled. Then we're going to give people a package. And so if you're a listener, and listen, if you're like a Patreon subscriber and you're three hours and 45 minutes, if you... You know, if you're a regular, it's like three, three, uh, three fifteen. Mm-hmm. If you made it this far, you're a real fan of the show. Like you are a real fan, and so we're going to roll out the Liberty and Chill model to people that listen to the podcast. And so, what I'd like to do is, people in their local area, if you want to get people together and do Liberty and Chill, you know, presented by We Are Libertarians, mm-hmm. then on the on the page on the website, I will create a page of official Liberty and Chills. And uh, then you create an Instagram or, you know, I'll create an Instagram for you. And then, uh, you know, Liberty and Chill Topeka, Liberty and Chill Evansville, Liberty Mm -hmm. and Chill. And Mm -hmm. then people can connect through that Instagram page. Mm -hmm. And uh, then there we go. And so I've seen Barstool do this with Barstool IU, Barstool Purdue, Barstool Colleges Mm -hmm. uh, with an Instagram. And it's really been effective for them growing the brand, connecting people on the campus. And I I don't see why we can't do that. So, yeah. And it's great to see, like, yeah, just where are like if you have fellow listeners in the area Mm -hmm. and and if you have enough of them, you know, like if we're if we're in the area. So deputy leader, your job is to figure out a way to screen these people because I don't want crazy people. I don't want people that are going to reflect negatively on We Are Libertarian and dear leader himself so you're gonna have to do like a phone interview with harry or or, or whatever test that harry decides to throw at people you got a purity um, test uh, so we'll have to put people like christy avery liberty and chill fort wayne sponsored by wall she'll have to do some tests some feats of strength mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. we gotta we gotta vet everybody even christy yep. avery mm-hmm. uh even mm-hmm. superfan stone yep could you imagine superfan stone poor little introverted Super fan stone, uh, trying to do a social network. I would love it. Uh, Logan, super fan stones in a, in the Atlanta era. So maybe we'll hook you two up. So yeah, that's going to be the fun one there. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Christy's mad that I, I. Of course, you can do Liberty and Chill. Just let us figure out this one, and then we'll we'll roll it all out. So yeah. so hit hit uh, Harry or I up if you want to be involved. <laughs> Editor at WeAreLibertarians.com. All right. For my part, I want to say thank you to Brandon Luke, Craig DaCosta, uh, Jason Doolittle, and Christy Avery for being our $100 a month subscribers on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great content. You can hear tomorrow night's show with Harry in the Patreon RSS feed. If you don't catch it live, then you've got to listen to it in the Patreon feed. Very good. Uh, great, great episode. Really enjoyed. I, I was so ready for this episode. Super pumped. Want to say, uh, want to say, a sh- give a shout out to all our Hawaii listeners. I don't know if Craig DeCosta is the only one. Poor Craig <laughs> had the S scared out of him. I'm sure by that that nuclear missile poo la- come out. launch. The poo come out. Uh, Hannah Cook, who has been on the program many times, is vacationing in Hawaii. And got the alert. Her husband, Todd, laughed because Todd's a real man. Hannah went and <laughs> hid in the tub and freaked out. And, like, do <laughs> you imagine, like, you go to this tropical paradise for vacation, and then you get hit by a nuclear missile? Ah, that would have. Yeah, start drinking. There's right. nothing you can do. Right. Start drinking. Uh, could, what would you do if you had 38 minutes to live? Screw and drink. I'd pray. <laughs> Screw and drink. I'm going. I couldn't find somebody to screw that fast. So Rusty's going out the way Rusty lived. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, you were showing me the way. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, Mark Edge is also out there, too. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> From Free Talk Live? Yeah, Free oh, Talk okay. Live. Yeah, gotcha. Mark Edge. All right. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate you being a part of the show, and we will see you Thursday night when we get the original band back together, Chris Galt, Creighton Harrington, and I. (laughs) Creighton is about to move to New York City, so it's one of the last shows we'll get to do as a threesome, Uh, and so we're looking forward to that. We're going to talk technology, FISA, Mm -hmm. all kinds of fun stuff, so tune in on Thursday. Tune in tomorrow night for Harry. And until next time, we say be good to each other. We are supported by listeners like you. Donate per month or make a one-time donation through PayPal or Patreon at wearelibertarians.com. Join in on the conversation. Visit the sidebar at wearelibertarians.com and join our Facebook group, meet other listeners, and get our daily news dump. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to. Oh, f- the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week, we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty. Rock and roll. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com.